I just think it's honestly so funny that the Pinkertons like still exist. Like I knew that like Securitas had like acquired the Pinkerton Detective Agency, mm-hmm. but I just assumed that they operated as Securitas because it's just such a I mean, to me, it feels like a bizarre thing to keep using that branding when there's so much, like, negative (laughs) connotation attached to, like, we sent the Pinkertons to investigate. But I guess there are people on certain parts of the political spectrum that that's actually a a plus for, so... I was... When I heard that, they just, like, raided some YouTuber. I was like, why? (laughs) What does this do for you? Yeah, so I mean, I don't think they raided, but I think they went to their house and like talked to and intimidated them. Yeah. Which obviously like, don't do that. What? What? What is Watsy? I mean, we know that Watsy is the worst, but. Their whole legal department is just the craziest little thing. Don't see us. It must be nuts over there. I don't know. I want to. I'd love to get an inside peek. I'll keep an eye out for legal department openings. Uh, they posted job openings the other day. I don't think they were for legal positions. I mean, I won't really. I don't actually want to go work in Watsi's legal department. But you that could change it from awful. the inside. <laughs> <laughs> that always works. Always. Oh, no. We should start the episode before I have to flash back to the... Uh cnn article i read earlier today (laughs) oh god (laughs) also um i hate that whenever there's like a piece of news like people start linking to it's always an article from thegamer.com and it always reads like a blog post generated by ai that's like just barely legible clearly completely unresearched and just like repeating things that people have said without like properly (laughs) Yeah, saying that this person claims that or whatever. I haven't read this website, but I have read this exact type of writing many times. Can we get a smidge of journalism when it comes to talking about this kind of news? Because this is actual news. When a corporation sends a private detective agency to intimidate somebody for distributing information about a product that was mistakenly sent to them through no fault of their yeah. own. Like, this is an actual news thing and deserves actual journalism to be done to it. But, nah. I, no. I heard people blaming the guy. Just, like, he he had, like, a thousand viewers. He should know better not to distribute this information. And I'm just like, really? Uh, he had a thousand subscribers, yeah. which yeah, just sorry. means that you've posted a video a week for, like, six months or something like that. That doesn't mean you have any knowledge of anything. And also, if if wizard, if I just get sent the wrong cards, like I don't have any legal responsibility to not yeah. publish. I'm that. just gonna like, publish there's it. No, yeah. That's how you. If you want to grow, that's a good way to do it. Here's some leaks I have. Come view my video. I I'm not like discussing like moral responsibility or whatever. I get that you know people worked hard on this, etc. etc. But I like there's no. There's certainly no legal responsibility to not do anything with the cards that got sent to you by accident. And there's no like ethical responsibility to a billion dollar corporation that is that is at all persuasive to me. Especially one apparently willing to send send agents <laughs> to your house. To send the the actual Pinkertons. <laughs> but yeah, we should probably talk about cards. Magic cards, yay. Yay.
Hey everyone, welcome to episode 290 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hi, Lee. Hi, Chris. Are you ready to talk about some magic cards? I have been ready. I have actually been talking about magic cards for a few minutes now, but yes. Don't don't let them peek behind the curtain. We do that like every week. You, the curtain oh, is yeah, they transparent. I know exactly what's going on. Also, our pre and post show is we really only cut the stuff that's like not safe for podcast. Everything else, we just like keep it in there. <laughs> we just take out the the shit talking. Yeah. Well, I don't ever do that, but yeah. No, never. Yeah. So we are going to talk about March of the Machine today. We are going to do our little pick five set review kind of thing. I have been streaming and stuff lately, so it would be cool if y'all check that out. I've been focusing on Pioneer and. We are about to go into the phase of the show where we steal a segment from Dominaria's Judgment. It's about to be Pioneer like, time. It's about to be Pioneer time. It technically, like, we could do the segment this week, but this is going to be a long enough episode looking at the cards, so we'll just really hit it with Pioneer. But short version of my Pioneer take is I've been really enjoying playing the Magma Opus, Gear Hulk, Indomitable Creativity deck. I think that it is difficult to find exactly the right build of that deck, given that a lot of the cards do kind of similar, but wildly different things in certain game states, particularly like the three drop slot in the deck is is very hard to figure out what's the best thing to do. But I just have felt that it was pretty powerful and pretty resilient to disruption and stuff and you also just get to run like a lot of make disappears and good cheap removal and just be a good deck so i've I've been enjoying playing that a lot and i'm gonna run it at the rcq this weekend cool yeah i was gonna ask you're gonna make it because i plan on going uh i had built a rona deck but i don't quite have all the cards i needed so i'm just gonna play lotus field again yeah that's fair I, I have my Star City order sitting on the like counter by the front door. I just haven't opened it yet, but I think I have everything I need now. And if you don't, just let me know. I don't know how much I'll have, but I could look. I think I have most of the hard to get stuff. It might just be like a random like one one land or something like that that I'm missing. So I mean if you need like a storm carved ghost, that's outside of my my range. I stopped buying that. No, cards, I paid like... thirty dollars <laughs> for my third and fourth storm carved oh, ghost, so that's brutal. Not thirty dollars a piece. Yeah, fifteen dollars totally. a piece. That's still not, not great. That's that's all. It felt like a lot for these like non basics without land types. It's not smart enough, Canal. Which I guess is fifteen dollars now. Wow. Is it? Yeah. I I'm surprised it hasn't come down more, but it is also very very good. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very strong. No, this is. I it, it hurts me a little bit to like write down this deck list. That's two Spire Bluff Canal, four Stormcarve Coast, but. That's, that's when you what, know what you're about. That's what happens when you're <laughs> casting Torrential Gear Hulk. I mean, that's also what happens when your main card, the card your deck named after, costs at least four mana. Yep. All right. Shall we start talking about cards? Yeah. Do you do you want to lead us off with white, or do you want me to? I, I can lead us off unless you're like really excited to hit it with white. No, I'm, I mean white is a cool color in this set for some reason. It is. There's a lot of good cards in the set in general, but no, I'm mm-hmm. I'm not dying to talk about white, so you can go for it. Yeah, that's fair. My white cards are a little bit boring. They're almost all takes on cards that already exist, but just, you know, new versions of them. Uh, My first one is exactly that. It is a better Baneslayer Angel in Boonbringer (laughs) Valkyrie. 
three white white for a four four flying first strike lifelink with backup one. It's significantly better than Bane Slayer Angel. Yeah, it's like the fact better. that it comes down, puts that counter on a guy, you get your flying lifelink, like probably four ish damage lifelink swing in, and then that leaves you with your you know, 4-4 four, four Baneslayer Angel, and you still have a plus one, plus one counter on the guy you put it on. I think that this card will be very good as a sideboard card for aggressive matchups and also maybe just a top end in some version of white creature-y mid-range decks, but probably mostly filling that Baneslayer Angel role and being really good at it. Yeah, I, I saw this card in Limited. I was watching, and it reminded me of... I wish I remembered the name of this angel from Shards of Valara that's like has exalted and whenever a creature attacks alone, it gets plus one plus one in lifelink. Or it exalted yeah. in lifelink, right? And that yeah. card was just like a house in Limited at the time. Because it was huge flyer and it gave haste and a huge life swing when you did it. And if you put it on a Rocks War Monk, at the time Lifelink stacked, so you could just like go crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, but Boombreaker Valkyrie was kind of like that, where it's just the first attack you, is just the largest creature on your board. It gets all those keywords. You have the huge life swing. And then you have a Baneslayer Angel with all the first strike and lifelink stuff still attached to it. In Limited, it's even dumber because jumping a creature usually means you get to flip a battle. Ooh. And that's usually really good. Yeah, it might kill them, but more likely takes out an entire battle all on its own. And that usually helps like oh yeah that'll turn put the back. game away and if it doesn't like you you're putting on a two-turn clock right where you hit them for a big chunk and then you have an angel for the following turn yeah and they can't race you right so it's it's brutal i i, I also have this card number four for me because i think it's it's quite a good maybe the best baneslayer analog we've gotten because mm -hmm. it just is baneslayer angel kind of like a base rate without the weird protections Oh, yeah, it's strictly better as long as the protections aren't relevant, which they really aren't. Yeah, and, and then, honestly, the protections on Baneslayer Angel itself are very rarely relevant anyway, because, like, who, mm -hmm. who tangles with that in combat? No one. It still has first no. strike. <laughs> yeah, it beats all the demons and dragons anyways. Yeah. My number four is Sunfall. I don't think that there's a real distinction between, like, no, the quality not. of five and four on this list. Uh, Sunfall is three white-white for sorcery. Exile all creatures. Incubate X, where X is the number of creatures exiled this way. I think it's just a very pretty generous for a five mana wrath five mana wraths obviously much worse than four mana wraths and we do have access to a four mana wrath right now so that probably is your go-to default but if you need to kill everything anything really dead if exiling is important or you're using this as a wrath in like more mid-rangey matchups where it's not as important to just like do it as early as possible getting that body in exchange and also keeping them from being able to you know Sunfalling their tenacious underdogs and stuff like that is much better than wrathing their tenacious underdogs. So I think that this has a place, and it's kind of boring, but it's good. See, I think this. I think I'm a lot higher on this card than you are, mm -hmm. because I I think this the the wrath you're referring to is to populate the one that's in standard right now. Yeah, and I think that four mana rats are just generally better than five mana rats, especially when you need to like contain aggressive matchups like if you're playing against moderate or whatever you're gonna want to wrath as soon as possible so you can stabilize and five man rats just don't do it but I, I do think this card is significantly better than depopulate after you've cast it because it's a win condition it exiles all the stuff you don't have to deal with all their crap and in this standard format currently it's more mid-rangey like you don't have to play your wrath on turn four a lot of the time and i think sunfall does a really good job at just being 
zero win condition while being a card you want in your deck anyway you don't have to like put more win conditions if you're just going straight control and if you're playing a mid a mid-range deck yourself it fits into your game plan of trying to attack them anyway I, I think this card's very strong if it just destroyed creatures i wouldn't be nearly on board with it but exiling them i think is a big deal yeah i mean i agree with all of that and like that's why it made my list the reason that i'm not like oh yeah sunfall like like you know, it's just because the threats are really diverse these days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I love that this is good against like Tenacious Underdog and Squee and Blood, you know, the Phoenixes and stuff like that. But also like Fable of the Mirror Breaker, if it's not flipped, stays in play. Planeswalkers stay in play. Reckoner Bankbuster stays in play. And so like this not killing that stuff, yet who knows exactly what you're still facing on the other side of the board after you've cast your five mana wrath. So that's boards are more complicated in standard and that's the the one thing like there are situations where wrathing is just very medium and i think they're pretty common but when wrathing is good and yeah i do think that we're in much more of a mid-rangey format although red aggro did get more tools so we'll see but yeah i think that this card will have a place i think it is a little tough to justify main decking it unless like stuff gets pretty different from what, where we've been at i i basically think that this is the kind of card that something like blue white control would like but blue just sucks it's mm-hmm. just not a good color in standard despite blue being parts of decks in standard like esper legends and grixis those aren't really blue decks well it's all <laughs> multicolored cards and make disappear are the, yes. the blue cards and when like a tempo counterspell like make disappear is your your big one that requires you mm-hmm. to play creatures you're not really like looking for sunfall right so yeah. I, I think Sunfall is a very good Wrath in like a class of Wraths. Probably one of the better ones that they've printed yeah. in a while. But it's not the, the format right now. I don't think it's time for it. Like I don't right. think but, there's a good place for it. Yeah. There is a lot of raw power and then we just have to get to the point where that's you want that specific kind of power. Yeah. But I do think like going forward, it, especially once Kamigawa rotates out and you no longer have Fable and Reckoner Bankbuster... Mm-hmm. I, you could start maybe looking at something like Sunfall. Sure. I, I agree. Uh, my number three is Knight Errant of Eos. This is four and a white for a 4-4 four, four with Convoke. When it ETBs, you look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal up to two creature cards with mana value X or less from among them, where X is the number of creatures that Convoke Knight Errant of Eos. Put the reveal cards into your hand, then shuffle. This is weirdly like so a ton like venerated loxodon it just instead of putting power and toughness on your board it puts creatures into your hand which is probably a little bit worse at least in the decks that venerated loxodon was played in so i think this is probably doing a, a reasonably different thing then and just like the creatures you want your deck to be made out of because you want to draw some like effective creature cards off of it that are not just like if you hit two two ones for one off of it, then it it's not very exciting. Yeah. But if you hit some good, like, you know, if you hit a, a three three flyer that blinks a creature and something else off of it, then it's like, okay, I can keep playing a long game with these cards that I've drawn. Uh we've we have seen it already see a little bit of play in Pioneer Humans, and I think that the you know, it's got good creature types, it's a human, and that helps it along in it just like does a pretty nice keep playing the game sort of thing. And also it just adds a 4-4 to the board when you cast it. So it, I, I think this is a pretty strong card. Yeah, it's it's reasonable. I, I didn't realize 
uh, Mono White had tried this card in Pioneer. But it, it makes sense. I, I like that it is like encourages you to tap three creatures with it a lot of the time because that's where the strong point of your curve is. Mm-hmm. And that's where your like hard hitters are. But I hate the text, like look at the top six cards and try to look yeah. for creatures with specific mana values that just bad flashbacks. But having a 4-4 is a nice buy. Yeah, but right, you're getting the 4-4. I mean, if you hate casting Collected Company, you probably will not love casting this card either, but it is a 4-4. 4-4 on the cheap, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, My number two is Invasion of Gobicon. This is one and a white for a three defense battle. When it ETBs, it does the Apollo thing. You exile a card from their hand, and then they can cast that card. It costs two more. And then you flip it into something array. Light shield array. Light shield array. At the end of your turn, you put plus one, plus one counters on all your guys that attacked, and you can sacrifice it to give your guys hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. This is one of those cards that just, like, the gap between when it works and when it doesn't is so vast. But when it does work... It is obviously very impressive. It protects your guys. It pumps your team however much you have surviving an attack, which makes me really want to play it with like flyers and stuff. I have played against it out of hardened scales, but my opponent didn't draw very well, so it didn't really do anything and just kind of wasn't a card. And so I've seen kind of both sides of this. Uh, when it works, it's fantastic. When it doesn't work, it's embarrassing. But I feel like people will make it work is is kind of why it's here. I also enjoy how well it works in multiples. It does work well in multiples. Unless unless you can't get the first one to work, then it works really badly. Then you're yeah. really upset that you've drawn multiple. Yeah, then you're probably not winning that game anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah, Gobicon is where Teo is from, the shield mage. Ah, uh, That's why okay, it's a that light shield sense. array. The, the, whole, the whole thing, that plane's whole thing is light shields. I think that plane's whole thing is that it rains diamonds instead of water. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, that was on flavor text of something. Is like the Phyrexians came and they were like, all we need to do is just like sit under our light shields and let the diamond rain take them out or something like that. I <laughs> vaguely remember that flavor text. I, I don't actually remember that flavor text, but I unfortunately read the War of the Spark book. So <laughs> experience I do not recommend. I will continue to avoid that solid and my number one is guardian of Giraper. this is two and a white for a three three flyer when it etbs you blink another target creature or artifact you control and return it to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step it is flicker wisp but the worst comes into playability but more toughness that's enough it doesn't die to fire ice it doesn't die to ren and six activation it doesn't die to like one point off of a fury trigger that it can block you know, creatures like, it can block Rhino Van off yeah. a dash, which with Flickerwisp can too, but you, like, have a creature. There, there's no incentive for them to just, like, throw a Ragavan into a Flickerwisp. I think that this card just clearly sees play in Flickerwisp slots in most of the Flickerwisp slots. Uh, you do lose some utility, but I think you gain enough that it's good. And it's also just going to be good in standard. It's a good, fine rate, a 3-mana three 3-3 three, three flyer, and... You just stick it into the mono white deck, right? Because the two drops are ambitious farmhand and <laughs> spirited uh, companion. Uh, spirited companion. So then this just draws you a card when it comes into play, and that's great. Yeah, that's kind of like the, your base rate on any flicker effect. You just like wanted to draw a card or put a creature into play. Yeah, and since we're already running flickerable things that do that, then this 
I think just slots really nicely. It also like resets your reckoner bank busters yeah, I was about if you to used say up that. all the counters. <laughs> like, it does a lot. Yeah, get two pilots over six turns. I mean, if you're in a reckoner bank buster matchup, a lot of times like getting those getting three more draws out of your bank buster is just like okay like when that happens your opponent's just like i i can scoop now yeah, i don't need to that's go pretty through evident all of this. because every time your opponent plays a second rig in your bank buster after they finish their, their first one you're like oh no <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> uh my whitelist is very similar i just had the order switched around mm-hmm. a little so my number five is guardian of Gerber. Number four is Boonbringer Valkyrie. That's the, the Vanslayer Angel. Number three, I have a new card, Surge of Salvation. This is a, a sideboardy card. It's a white mana instant for you and permanence you control game hexproof until end of turn. And then it prevents all damage that black and red sources would deal to creatures you control this turn. This is a very big upgrade for, like, Hammer is where I've seen this. Yeah. Any, anytime you want to protect your your stuff in a white deck you went for blacksmith skill but now you can just do surge salvation which protects everything all at once and yourself which helps you out against you know random things that are targeting you like archon or burn spells or whatever yeah yeah and it right it protects against fury it protects against like getting griefed it definitely does a lot yeah sometimes you have a blacksmith skill and they can take you off metalcraft with a fury uh, and this card just prevents that. Yeah. Which is pretty yeah. nice. Uh, yeah, this has already seen a bunch of play, oh, like, replacing Blacksmith skill in those slots in the Hammer deck, and at least it will continue to do that, so that makes it merit a spot on the list, and probably there will be other places where it, it's, it's just a good playing. sideboard card, right? Like, yeah. it's not exciting, but it is good. And, like, if we were doing this for M19 or whatever the one Veil of Summer is, I don't think Veil of Summer would have made my list at that time, but it's, like, clearly the best green card in the set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's totally fair. All right, number two, I had Sunfall, which is the Exiling Incubate Wrath. Mm-hmm. And then number one was my Invasion of Govacon, because I'm a believer in that card. Really like yeah. it. Yeah. Do you have any specific, like, use cases or thoughts about it? I don't nothing that we've already mentioned. I just I have seen Pioneer decks already pick it up, and it seems fine. I've not (laughs) delved deeply into the gameplay of white decks because that's just not not a thing I'm interested in. But I do think this card is good and has a nice role in it. I'm really interested in it in like blue white spirits. I think that that might be a really disgusting use of this card. Mm, Yeah, maybe I. I'm kind of thinking that over now because I, I don't know that much against blue of blue white spirits the only time i've played against spirits recently has just been mono blue mm-hmm. so it's just like spell queller right is there anything else spell queller and they're playing like empyrean eagle and i bet you could just play this <laughs> over empyrean eagle because that is card not is not a good card not that good yeah this card does something unlike empyrean eagle which is just an anthem yeah and i get that you so. want to kill people fast with spirits because your cards aren't good enough to compete in a long game but maybe we just... I mean, a lot of spirits is about snowballing and become like getting to a point where like yeah, where you can kill you just them. Have... Yeah, like where they could deal with your board, but because you played an anthem effect, you're you can push through damage so that they can't recover. That's like what spirits' right. thing is. Yeah, and Invasion of Gokukan also does that without having to be a three mana card that's kind of dopey. Yep, and it also like protects your lords from getting killed and 
that's really good too yeah i i think it's just a flexible card uh monoway is a place i've seen it recently but maybe there's other places where it like spirits that'll make the deck a lot more interesting to play against shall we move on to the blue cards yeah so for blue cards i think this was the weakest color in the set for me which is i agree i i reached a little bit with my last slot or two (laughs) yeah blue has not had a a good a good run recently (laughs) but number five for my blue cards is c double which is a little bit of i love this card but i love this card i have gotten destroyed by this card in draft yeah it's so good when you like don't think about it and then you just can't win anymore so let's say i didn't think about it yeah (laughs) is a two uu instant so four mana the spell can't be copied and it's modal so you choose one if an opponent has eight or more cards in your graveyard you can choose both so you create a token that's a copy of target creature or copy target spell and choose new targets for the copy so most of the time i think of this card as a four mana flash clone it's a stunt double is the name of that card with extra text on it uh it does <laughs> we were talking about the token rules earlier with flip cards they did change them for this set if you copy a flip card with a token you can flip the token into the backside. Mm-hmm. unlike if you play a clone on a, yes. a a flip card so now so now clones that make tokens are probably generally better than clones that are actual copies because there's a lot of flip cards there are a lot of flip cards i don't know how often the choose both copy a spell thing comes up because it's very situational when you want to copy a spell and a creature i think most of the time i'm looking at this card is this is a clone at instant speed and maybe i'll get something else out of it occasionally Uh, and if you ever want to copy a spell in a matchup it's it then becomes a fork with a creature attached to it but I'm only interested in playing this in the same spaces where I was playing Vizier Remedies a long time ago, where there's a really important creature in the matchup you just need to copy. Oh, Vizier of... Uh... Oh, Vizier of Many Faces. Yeah. I don't think you want this unless like there's some possibility that you'll double up on the modes in the matchup likely. But yeah, I mean, it's it's mostly a clone. Uh, keep in mind that nowadays counter or copy target spell is not copy target instant or sorcery like your opponent plays a cruelty of gix and you can copy that and you get your own cruelty of gix you can copy anything with it you can also copy creatures if for some reason like having it come into play like if they play a an urtai or something like that then you can five mana shieldred whatever makes sense (laughs) to do like if you want your creature to come in before their creature that's on the stack you can copy it while it's on the stack to get it first well i was i was trying to beat big brain with the copy of the five mana shieldred because it's a token so you can't sacrifice it to their shieldred oh you're right that's kind of <laughs> sick that's hilarious yeah if you get to double up you can like you know copy shieldred copy one of their creatures this can target their creatures on a battlefield if you don't right have one of your own. which is really important all of the clones that only copy your creatures have been unplayable yeah, so much worse uh Anything that can copy the best creature on the battlefield is so much better than just copying your best creature on the battlefield. Yeah. I, I just like this card. I don't know. I don't think it'll see play, to be honest. But if it does, I want to live in that world. Yeah, same. I also don't think it will, especially because like playing a reactive blue deck right now sounds really miserable. But if we get to the point where you can just like put four mana blue instance in your deck, then I, I will want to try this. 
Yeah, and I don't think this can be played in a reactive deck. It seems very difficult. Like I, you want to be able to leverage the creatures you're making. So yeah, you need some sort of proactivity in, in that deck. I mean, I mean, it's a really powerful card advantage thing in a long mid range mirror. Kind of, you know, when you're copying a creature that they have in play and copying a spell that they put on the stack, like there's a good chance that you're getting something like you're getting way more than four mana and one cards worth of value out of that. Yeah, whenever you get both modes, it's backbreaking. Yeah. Love that card. So number four is Invasion of Segovia. <laughs> this is a two and a blue battle uh, with four defense. When it enters the battlefield, you create two 1-1 one, one blue Krakens with Trample, which is very cute because it's Segovia. Uh, then it transforms, once you've defeated it, into Cadus, Sea Tyrant of Segovia, which is obviously a 3-3 Legendary Serpent. <laughs> No trample in this one for some reason. Non-creature spells you cast have Convoke. And at the beginning of your end step, you can untap four target creatures. So this goes in any Convoke deck you can think to make in standard, I believe. Yeah, probably. Since yeah, it makes blue creatures... Just keep casting Convoke spells. Yeah, it makes blue yeah. creatures for pretty good cost. And on the back half, if you flip it, which is relatively easy to do, like Stoke the Flames can flip this if you want to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a couple other invasion of Vergatha is four damage to a battle. There's like some ways you can just get battles out if there are four. Sure. Uh, and so the, you flip that, all your other things get Convoke, including your other battles if you want to do that, because it's non-creature spells, not just sorceries now. And then you can play this offense-defense game with the, uh, the in-step untap up to four, because you can actually attack, untap your guys, so you can have a Convoke spell open uh, while mm -hmm. your opponent's doing their stuff. Yeah. I'm not super hype about it, but I, I do think that it could be an ingredient. Yeah, it's just a role player in a deck I think is marginal. Mm -hmm. But I, it feels yep. important. Like, it's got a lot of good words on it for that style of deck. Yeah, I, th I think it could be good. Again, we're reaching for the blue cards here. We are reaching blue a little bit. The blue is color. not deep. Yeah. So three is Moment of Truth, <laughs> which is a one in a blue instant. Look at the top three cards of your library. One goes in your hand, one goes in your graveyard, and the other goes in the bottom. Uh, this card sucks. I know. It does. But <laughs> I would just rather cast Impulse in almost any tech, and I hate casting Impulse. I I don't mind casting Impulse. Impulse feels Ugh. nice. Ugh. I cast Shimmer of Possibilities from time to time. You can cast. You can get away with casting Impulse in Lotus Field because you get that mana back at some point that game. In any other deck, it just it is so miserable to spend two mana on Impulse. The only thing I see Mono Truth seeing play in over something like strategic planning is if Instant is important. That's like the only the only case. Yeah. Like if you're in the market for strategic planning, but you need to play at Instant Speed for whatever reason, Moment of Truth is the card for you. But yeah. like, I don't know what deck that is. I don't either. Like, you can hold up, you know, a two mana counter spell, and then if they don't do it, then you do this. But I like, I don't care. I'd rather just play like Reckoner, Bankbuster, and Standard. Take it, Tigum's scheming. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a legitimate. Okay, we're gonna move on. I, Moment of Truth is medium, uh, but I do like Fairy Mastermind, which is my number two card. This is mm -hmm. Yuta's world championship card one in a blue for two one fairy rogue with flash and flying whenever an opponent draws their second card each turn you draw a card and then you can pay four mana 
to have each player draw a card. Yep. Just a very efficient flash threat that threatens to outcard them and, you know, just is a 2-1 flyer for two with flash, which is like close to fine anyways. I think it mostly is a 2-1 flash flyer that draws a card when it is battlefield. Because most mm-hmm. of the time you're playing this, your opponent's just drawing a card somehow. Like, right, there's a million Reckoner Bank Busters in the format, Fables, whatever. I mean, if if playing Shieldred and playing against Shieldred has taught us anything, it's that players draw a lot of cards in Standard and also every format, really. Yeah, this came to my attention when Narset Part of Reveals was printed, at, because <laughs> there were an untold number of game rules violations with Narset. <laughs> yes at least this one is just you have to remember your own trigger it's it's much better yeah but it proves that you're just drawing cards off a lot of stuff you don't think about and fairy mastermind will get in there and either kind of stop them from drawing cards or make them think twice about it kind of like a a pseudo narset or and you just get paid off of the first time you play it because you're playing it in response to an activation or whatever and you draw a card with them or you end stepped at turn two they're a fable of the mirror breaker deck like they cast their fable then and then do they draw cards off of it and just give you a card that doesn't sound great yeah it depends on what their hand is it's much worse than narset in that sense where all right they're drawing a card but i have two removal spells by hand that are pretty dead so i'm just going to discard them or whatever Mm -hmm. it is but it still is a good card like it's got very good stats two mana two one with four lines of text yeah i mean it's very cheap like it, it just is good and if if we are doing any battle flipping, like this is the kind of card that I'm pretty happy to have in my deck. Just two power flying for two mana, relevant effect on the game. Like they probably need to deal with it and very good at helping flip battles. Uh, and my number one card is Ronan, Herald of Invasion, which is a 1-2-1-3 one, one, human wizard legendary creature. When you cast a legendary spell, you untap her. She's a looter, so you can tap her to draw a card and discard a card. And her... Other lesser used ability is five and a Phyrexian black to transform her, activate only as a sorcery. She transforms into a five five trampler, which is now blue and black. Uh, whenever a source deals damage to Rona Talarian Obliterator, that source's controller exiles a card from their hand at random. If it's a land card, you put it on the battlefield under your control, otherwise you can cast it without paying its mana cost. I just really like this card. It's a free looters are underappreciated, I think, in general. Uh, Jace Friend's Prodigy was a really strong looter back in the day because mostly because it, it transformed into a Planeswalker that flashed back a spell so you like got the best of both worlds yeah. but even in the games where your graveyard was kind of like hated out and you couldn't transform your Jace having a looter is just like not a bad card to have and this card does the untap thing whenever you play a legendary spell which there are a million of it works really well with Mox Amber and it has a combo deck right now in Pioneer where you're trying to retraction Helix or Mox Amber to basically make infinite blue mana and just win through various yeah. convoluted means which do you think that deck is mostly a trap right now but i, I do don't think too. that, that I think is people are a strike against really Rona. badly like I, I think people are like oh this combo exists and mm-hmm. we're playing retraction helix but the <laughs> and people are kind of i've heard seen people compare retraction helix like grinding station but the difference in those decks is that grinding station or sorry breach plays pretty much all good cards except for grinding station and the problem i have with the rona decks is that it's not playing all good cards except for attraction helix yes (laughs) (laughs) so i think if you can solve that issue you have a long 
you're much more likely to have a good deck, especially if you have a plan B. Uh, a lot of decks I've seen have just built like all reactive sideboards in a combo that's really flimsy. Like it's a three card minimum combo. You need Mox Amber, Rona, and Attraction Helix, and something to use the mana on. Yeah, it's so, really a four card combo. Yeah. Like, and n- Retraction Helix doesn't do anything by itself. Though it yes. is cute that you could bounce like Pithing Needle and whatever. I mean, I think, and another difference between Grinding Station and Retraction Helix as like their roles in the deck is that when you have when you have Grinding Station and Underworld Breach, you win on the spot unless they have specific interaction that's trying to stop that from happening. When you have Retraction Helix, Rona, Mox Amber, you win or you get infinite mana unless your opponent just has a fatal push in their hand. So it's, you know, the the place to disrupt this combo is like pretty broad here. Yes, but also when when you've untapped with Rona, you're pretty confident they don't remove the spell because looting every they, turn in right. this sort of deck is very good. So they're just going to kill Rona on site anyway. But it does make it that much harder to combine it with the card it combines with since the card yes. it combines with is a creature. I think people need to start building that combo into decks that can win without it. And I haven't seen that yet. And that's what I'm trying to do. And I've not yet had success, but I'm still working on it. Because I do think Rona is a baseline powerful card. Like looters are not bad, especially when you can do it multiple times a turn. And I think it is guaranteed to see play and be good in Esper Legends if like absolutely Mm -hmm. nothing else works out. It's just a good two drop. Uh, I've seen it played with like focusing on synergies with Toulouse, which I don't think is a very good card and I think has like a lot of vulnerabilities and like kind of sucks. But once you have Rona and Rafine in your deck with it, then it actually ends up like pretty reasonable. It's like you you get to go, you know, cast Rona on turn two. On turn three, you get to loot, play your Toulouse, connive once, tap your Rona again, and then you have multiple cards under your Toulouse, and if they kill it, then you go up a bunch of cards. And uh, I mean, Rona just like fits in the spot in the deck that was the weakest, which was the two mana slot, mm-hmm. and does something really good there. Did people even play Toulouse before Rona? Is they, that like even good? I often saw a couple of copies. It was mostly pretty bad, but I think that it is much closer now but i don't think you even need to run it to make Rona good in that deck yeah so. that's that's what i was suspicious of because toulouse is just a three one right all right i guess a four two with connive it's like a four two it, like the like toulouse is good as long as it doesn't get exiled, exiled. or bounced if yeah. that happens then it's like really miserable uh and that happens like a little too much for the card to be good i think but if that doesn't happen quite as much then it's it's fine is Toulouse a triggered ability? You can, I guess you I can respond. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was thinking if you, could... but like if you have a Rona in play, then you can at least put a card under it at any time. Yeah. When she dies. Okay. I mean, that's fine. I, I think Rona is self-sufficient enough. That you don't need to do a like card advantage combo with her. I, I agree, but <laughs> it is still turn nice to your best synergy. cards. Also, uh, Rona has this neat, neat built in card advantage to her where you just flip her when you have too much yeah. mana and she's huge. <laughs> she's a monster. Yeah. <laughs> five, five uh, to you... cast spells from your opponent's hand is pretty strong. Do you see the aspiring spike deck that included Rona and like one of the synergies is that you can flip Rona and then have her hit herself with Asmore and then cast your Emrakul from your hand 
I did see that, but I don't like it because it's random. Random. You yeah. don't get to It's pick. not the most likely. But but when you're playing Underworld Cookbook in your deck, you can get yeah, you it's can a lot sculpt easier your hand into being Justin Emrakul. Uh Is the pilot Daredevil, what, OJ Daredevil? Is that an optional trigger? Can you just choose not to put that back? Uh, yeah, I don't think you have to return it. I'm going to look it up right now. Yeah, you may return Oval Chase Daredevil from graveyard to your hand. Well, there you go. I've never declined to do that, but that deck but here's does give you a reason to. <laughs> I also uh, watched Spike accidentally fizzle a, a surgical extraction on his Oval Chase Daredevils because he was like, well, I guess I will discard this Emrakul here. And then he... Uh, <gasps> like didn't realize that he was doing it on purpose and then drew oval chase daredevil on his turn it was like wait i didn't think that was even and it was like obviously very good to have oval chase daredevil and then you realize that he had like made the correct like blowout play but hadn't been able to like sell it and like be excited about it and stuff and he was just very let down that he didn't get to like set it up and then do the blowout he just accidentally did it that is hilarious <laughs> i love rona though i think it's maybe my favorite card in the set it's very high up there yeah it, i love it it too. dwarfs all the other blue cards in the set like all the other blue cards are barely worth talking about but i think rona is very strong so interestingly enough i actually only have her as my number two okay what's number my number one? one is a card that is not on your list so we're gonna start at the bottom of mine uh, okay so my number five is chrome host seed shark okay. uh, because we are reaching this is two and a blue for a two, four flying. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, incubate X, where X is that spell's mana value. You know, it's a little baby shark typhoon. It's also a two, four flyer for three. I think, I don't know if you combine it with convoke spells to just like really maximize or whatever. It doesn't make creatures right away though. That's the kind of No, it doesn't downfall. make creatures right away. But when you are flipping them into like four fours and stuff, that two mana actually like kind of gets discussed. It's not as big of a deal. I, I don't think that this is going to see a ton of play, but it, it is wild to me to put Chromos Sheet Shark in the same set as Monastery Inventor and just be like, <laughs> hey, look at these cards, compare them. Really funny. Yes. Monastery and Monastery Mentor didn't even make our white lists. Well, so, I didn't. But I mean, because it's a reprint. So. I didn't put any reprints on the list. I think Stoke of Flames yeah. is one of the better red cards, but it's not on my list either. Right. Same. Which I guess is a we should make like an actual rule, but yes, monastery mentor is now. in the set and probably will see some play. But yeah, Chrome Host Seed Shark probably not great. It is funny like how insane that card is in draft, though. I have never beaten it and I have never lost with it. So there's a lot of good rares in the set. I actually think it's very exciting limited format. Yes, because you each have like two to three fantastic rares, and so hopefully you each draw at least one of them and then get to like you know smash them into each other i really prefer so sometimes there's sets where all the rares are bad and that's fine like you just play with the set mechanics but there's other sets where the rares are bonkers like this one uh like war this work like scars of mirrodin the whole scars of mirrodin block really that's fun i love those formats i feel like like little treasures every time you get a broken rare and you like fight your opponent's broken rare mm -hmm. but th then you have sets like I don't know why, but Ravnica is coming to mind, like the original Ravnica, where like most of the rares are trash. Like you, you have a whole cycle of hit these hunted creatures that give your opponents creatures. <laughs> yes. And then there's like glare of subduel on the other end, which is just unbeatable opposition. Mm -hmm. And I hate those formats because it feels like the gulf between like the rare your opponent opened and the rare you opened is just so insurmountable. And just determined the entire match. Yeah. 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 
But when you both have a broken rare and like you didn't draw yours and your opponent did, that feels a lot more fair to me. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'll get them in the next match. Like I'll I'll draw it in the next one and it'll be fantastic. Like yeah, exactly. I still have stuff going on in my deck. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I mostly agree. like there are definitely games where just like you're playing spells and then your opponent plays Glissa and you're like, oh, well, hmm. can never, ever beat that card in a million years. I guess nothing mattered. But there's also games where like you kill it because there's a lot of removal. In the I, set. Yeah, I do think that having good removal to answer the good rares is, is important. Yeah. So to continue talking about cards that I have played a bunch of in limited, my number four card is Meeting of Minds. This is three and a blue for an instant. Draw two cards with Convoke. It just feels like it's like a little bit cheaper than an instant speed divination with Convoke should be. And I think this is kind of exactly what you want if you are convoking and it just kind of like gets there more easily and keeps your wheels turning, gets you more, you know, creature tokens into play. If you're doing Monastery Mentor or Third Path Iconoclast and it draws you more convoke cards and it just kind of like keeps you going and is the glue that will make a convoke deck work if if you want to do that. If you can figure out how to make a convoke deck work, this will certainly be one of the cards with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's where I'm at for that. I agree. That that is the the caveat is just, can yeah. you actually play enough creatures to make these things work? It, this is like the same thing as my invasion of Segovia type deal. Like mm-hmm. maybe this I don't think this will work out, but if you if it does, this is what you want. Yeah. It's also incredible in the limited format because drawing cards gets you closer to your rares. Yes. And that, that's where you want to be. And you can also enter some board stalls and convoke is good in those. Yep. Uh, the difference between a, an instant with convoke and a sorcery with convoke is it's, it's a big, big gulf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My number three is fairy mastermind. It's just good. Efficient. Strong. Does a lot. My number two is Rona. Uh, my number one is change the equation, which. Oh, this is, is a sideboard card. Yeah, that that's fine. I, I accept that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's. One in a blue for an instant, choose one. Counter target spell with mana value two or less. Counter target red or green spell with mana value six or less. This is one of those, like the way that Ether Gust just came along and was like, oh, holy crap, this just does everything that you want. I think this is a very similar sort of thing where it, it hits more things than you realize and does a better job of it than you would think. Obviously, it doesn't clear anything out of being in play, but you know counters anything up to a primeval titan that's red and green uh i think that this is already seeing play in modern sideboards because of the weird amount of flexibility it has you can also bring it in against living end and it's counter spell against (laughs) living end so there's just like a bunch of stuff that it does that i i I think that it'll see like a decent amount of play in sideboards in formats going back to modern for quite a while i actually think this card i've thought about this for a little bit i think this card is much stronger or not much. This card is stronger in modern than it is in Pioneer. Yeah, there's a lot of three mana spells in Pioneer that are really good. Yeah, the quality of two and one mana spells in Pioneer is much lower than the thing you just referenced. That cascade spells exist in modern. Mm-hmm. You can just like counter them. Yeah, but I mean, like your side or something else. Like think about this card against like the Omnath Bring to Light deck. Like it counters Omnath. It counters Bring to Light. Uh, like it. You know, it it just like does a lot of the stuff that you would want to do with a counter spell. Like, so I think in Pioneer too, it probably has a place. It does have little random pitfalls even in Pioneer. Like if you're replacing mm-hmm. just straight up replacing your Aether Gusts with Change the Equations, 
and you play against Lotus Field, Emerging Alternative is a seven mana green spell. That's true. That which is a huge deal because Aethergust is a beating when you get yeah, Aethergust on your ultimatum. I mean, do people tend to bring in Aethergust in the Lotus Field matchup? It's not like, for the Lotus Field matchups, but yes, they do bring it in. I guess you bring it in if you have, you know, nine like cheap removal spells in your deck or whatever. And it's you just need it's to cut very easy something. to sideboard against decks like Lotus Field because you're very, your main deck is very unusually it, when you're playing blue cards right your, your deck's not really set up to play against lotus mm-hmm. a lot of the time yeah you just have these fatal pushes or whatever that you got to get out of there a white removal or just like anything that just doesn't fit you're just like okay well i guess i'll put my either gusts in and you're just like sure. praying that you have it in your hand when they cast an original ultimatum but if you have changed the equations instead you're just like kind of countering a hope tender or whatever whatever they play mm-hmm. which is no i mean counters a hidden strings it does counter hidden strings, but I. When you're yeah. playing against a blue opponent and they have mana open, that hidden <laughs> strings is not targeting your lands a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, on to the black cards. No, no. Oh, yeah, that was your Wait. number one. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It was just so disappointing. Like, that was above Rona. I, like, I get it, but. Yeah, I mean, I think it will see more play than Rona over, yeah, over time. I get that. All right. Yeah, we can go to black now. Because black was weird i think there were a lot black, of it, really good world yes. players I, I yeah i think it's full of like cool cards that are all like ce pluses be, whatever you rank like i can find a spot for this card in this deck that i'm the only one who wants to play it is is kind of like how the black cards work in this set so that's why my number five card is hoarding brood lord which <laughs> the is the demonic tutor dragon it is yeah <laughs> Five black, black, black for a seven, six convoke flying. When hoarding broodlord enters the battlefield, search your library for a card, exile it face down, then shuffle for as long as that card remains exiled. You may play it spells you cast from exile have convoke. I don't know how to play this card, but it's really strong. If you like cast this thing by tapping like four creatures and four lands, and then you search your library for whatever, another hoarding broodlord. Or a cut down that this hoarding broodlord can cast so that you don't die before you untap with your 7-6 flyer. Like, I don't know. I think that it is really pushed for an 8-mana creature. And it's, like, more castable than you would think. And tutoring your library for a spell that then you can cast with your creatures. And double spell on your next turn to, like, make up for spending your whole turn casting the 7-6. Like, there's something there. And it also is just a regular ETB trigger. So if you're doing Cruelty of Gix stuff and you just like keep putting Hoarding Broodlords in play, you will outgrind your opponent in a hilarious way that will like your opponent will just put their head down on the table and not be into whatever is happening to them. Yeah. And this card is removal proof. Like you're going to get the card no matter what. Like it doesn't go into your hand. So it has the convoke stuff, but it is essentially Gaunti text. Like as long as the card is exiled, you can play it. Yep. So, uh, I don't, you know, I it is an eight drop. I don't know how you play it, but it's an impressive amount of stuff that went into this eight drop. Yeah. The, <laughs> I feel like there's only kind of two, maybe one deck that wants this, which is kind of like the cruelty of Gix. I'm going to put this into play and just like kind of loop them. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard to find a black creature deck that has creatures in play and wants to tap them instead of attacking with them. Attack. Like I, right. Yeah. Yeah, we, we don't have like, any black-spirited companions and stuff like that. So. Yeah, like, I'm sure they exist and have existed several times in history where you just, like, have 
more tokensy or sacrificey. Like if you had mm-hmm. cauldron familiars or whatever as your black creatures mm-hmm. you're just putting into play, you don't care if they live or die. They're just like on the board. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could see tapping creatures for brooding brood lord. But if you're putting graveyard trespassers into play, it's, that's not like a thing you want to tap for it. So I played a game of limited where my opponent had companion Garuda <laughs> and they, you know, spent turn three, got to use an odd amount of mana to put Garuda in their hand. They just had a lot of two mana, give a creature minus two, minus two and similar effects. And then on their turn six, they cast Garuda and put a hoarding broodlord into play. And then the next turn they cast their second hoarding broodlord from exile. <laughs> You told me a story and I was I loved it. <laughs> that is someone I, who truly lived the dream when they were drafting. I I was very happy for them. It was incredible when it happened and and I I was very happy for my opponent getting to live that dream. <laughs> Actually might have won that game if the card that they tutored up wasn't a second hoarding broodlord. Like I had a shot. Not a great shot, but the the Some, second one really rare. put it away. Some rare yeah. you had to to bring you back from that. I yes, I had multiple rares in play at that point to try <laughs> to compete. I had like monastery mentor going, and it just like wasn't quite enough. <laughs> sure, especially with the second dragon. Yes. Uh, my number four is invasion of Fioria when it ETBs. Choose one or both. Destroy all legendary creatures. Destroy all non-legendary creatures. This is a six-mana battle with four defense. And then I need to look up the backside of this. Oh, I've got the backside. The backside is Marchessa, Resolute Monarch. She's a 3-6 legendary human noble with menace and death touch. Whenever she attacks, remove all counters from the one target permanent. And at the beginning of your combat, or sorry, at the beginning of your upkeep, if you haven't been dealt combat damage since your last turn, you draw a card and you lose one life. Yeah, so like the backside of this card is just an insane creature that kills planeswalkers, flips battles, draws cards, like does absolutely everything. Uh, the front side of this is like a big expensive sweeper. The dream is to have legendary creatures in play and kill your all of your opponent's creatures and then attack that turn and flip this. I think that that may be a thing that Esper Legends is interested in. But there's also just the like, use this as a wrath and then if you have free ways like non-combat ways in your deck or haste creatures in your deck or whatever that make flipping battles easy then you get like a huge bonus off of that because the backside of this wrath is just a creature that they cannot win without killing it no i i I think this card's really good in like self-contained like if you can clear the board and have creatures left over to attack this battle and flip it into Mm -hmm. marchesa you've done it like that's a Mm -hmm. huge swing uh, it's just like how often can you make that happen and this is a six mana card so you have to like build up to that point you know yeah yeah i mean i do like it like you know it leaves your reckoner bankbuster around so then the turn after this like you are attacking with a four four they need to have a thing that stops your four four after you've wrathed or else you get your marchessa like there's just ways to make it good it is a six mana wrath so you know niche but powerful it is also very awkward if it ever catches on and you play the mirror then it's just an actual wrath instead of a plague blend. You do have to kill everything, yes. So you have to like kind of see if you can find a non-legendary creature to put on the battlefield so you can <laughs> <laughs> have it survive. Yeah. I do like the idea of it in the sideboard of the Esper Legends decks. 
Yeah, can you make tokens or something in that deck that's not legendary? I'm trying to remember the deck list in my mind. But with it playing... doesn't. You can have like a you could have a four to raise the last tra transmigrant in play. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that would live and kill the battle. Yeah. It's not even a like in the mirror, it's not even that bad. Yeah. I mean it's kind of tough to make it a, a four two. A four like two. it usually just is a three one, but I mean I guess you can connive it once or whatever, so to set up for this. Anyways, my number three is Pylon, three and a black for an instant with Convoke, Destroy Target Creature or Planeswalker, Surveil 2. Uh, if you're playing creatures and you need a removal spell, this really pays you. Surveil 2 on your removal spell is gigantic. That That's really helpful for your consistency. And anytime that th this just costs like two mana, it's very, very good. Yeah, I, I love removal spells and instant speed that my creatures can cast because it makes combat a lot trickier for opponent there's mm -hmm. a card in white in this set that's cut down chop down something something cutting chopping it's a the three mana speed spell. Is assassinate yeah yeah and it also kills planeswalkers mm -hmm. i really like that card it didn't make my list because i think white is so strong <laughs> but uh, I, that card is really cool mm -hmm. and this has got a very similar vibe at, at an extra mana and in a worse creature color but still like gets the surveil just kills everything straight up like they don't have to be tapped yeah yep i think it's pretty good and yeah putting surveil two on that thing is is really helpful the the thing about the convoke stuff is in a lot of combats like and and this is more relevant to limited but still can be relevant and constructed but these are spells that don't actually have to cost any mana at all. You can be tapped out and then still have a spell up to ruin whatever your opponent is doing that combat or that turn. And uh, that's that can be very strong. Yeah, especially if you have something like, I mean, maybe not for Pylon, but something like Wedding Announcement. Anything that mm -hmm. generates creatures that you can then use to convoke stuff on your opponent's turn, that's a big swing. Yeah, definitely. And I think any deck... You know, we were talking about uh, Hoarding Broodlord, maybe in some sort of like cauldron familiar, like Oni Cult Anvil, when you're making like weird tokens and sacrifice decks and stuff. And I think that Pylon makes a ton of sense in yeah. any sort of like sacrificing deck. If you need targeted removal, this may be just the best option possible. Start making devil tokens with Obnixilis and piling mm -hmm. on. Yeah. Uh, my number two is Shieldred, three black black for a four or five menace. When she ETBs, each opponent sacrifices a non-token creature or planeswalker. Four and a black, exile shielded, then returns to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control. Activate only as a sorcery and only if an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard. The backside is a saga that kills, that wins the game. I mean, I don't really care that much about the text of the backside. The first chapter just... is a murder. Like, it, if you flip shielded, she kills something. <laughs> and yes. you get to pick hero's downfall it kills a planeswalker it can kill yeah. a planeswalker too right. the second chapter makes them like discard three cards the last chapter reanimates reanimates everything everything <laughs> uh so yeah so we do care about the backside and then you also get the shieldred back when the third chapter happens and you get another just in uh, case you're like out six of creatures you got out of everyone's graveyards wasn't enough isn't enough right. you get a shieldred back but basically if you need something for your five slot in your mid-range deck if Invoke Despair isn't doing it for you for mana cost reasons or opponents just having too many tokens and nonsense reasons, then this is a powerful, like, great 
just if they have one decent creature or planeswalker out and you cast this it's incredibly good just a powerful flametone kavu type effect that also is more than just a body because they have to think about how this is affecting the long game going forward it will win the game if you get to activate the ability safely at some point and that's really relevant and is going to screw up their plays yeah i, I really like shielded it's such a good mid-range to late game card like it mm-hmm. scales so strong to the game. I, I considered putting Elish Norn on my whitelist because I think that's also a card that has a similar function. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just felt Elish Norn is a little weaker than all the other cards that we went through. I mean, yeah, with Elish Norn, I think in Constructed, you kind of have to be aiming at activating it for it to be yes. good. Uh, Shieldred, you just kind of like have the activation sitting there as a threat in a longer game and the the card itself is is totally fine. Yeah, I think Elish Norn can be... I mean, I don't want to talk about Elishnor when we're talking about Shieldred, but yeah, Shield Shieldred is a strong card. Like, I, I I think it's good. The only problem is that Invoke Despair is such a good top end for these black right. cards right now, and the ink the damage it provides is really important. Uh, like getting because of damage. other Shieldred, yeah, yes, because of Shieldred. I don't remember the name of it. <laughs> Four mana Shieldred. Mm-hmm that it's hard to like this is a creature it can deal damage right but the the appeal of invoke is that you don't have to go through combat to deal damage and that's very appealing especially against some decks like mono white mid-range where they're really good at just stopping combat but really bad at burn damage (laughs) yeah exactly so right like this could get pushed out invoke is a clear like i am a powerful five drop uh cruelty vx is also a clear like powerful black five drop so the competition is stiff but we are also in a metagame where decks that want a powerful black five drop like clearly exist and although there is competition for that like there is a need for that type of card to top off these decks so my number one which may be too high, but I just really love this card, is Scornblade Berserker. Uh, one black for an 0-1 with backup, and one sacrifice this creature, draw a card. Just a, a as efficient as you can be, body, sacrifice fodder, plus sacrifice enabler, package. Been super impressed with this thing in like games of limited. Just it does... It, and, and, and it just like rewards you for planning things out and figuring out what's important on boards and how many cards you need and stuff like that. And just the synergies that this thing has with Mayhem Devils and similar cards and just giving you a better attack because you get to use that plus one plus one counter this turn immediately and forcing through a little bit of damage in your Oni Cult Anvil or Cauldron Familiar deck. Like I, I think this card just does a ton for costing one black mana. Yeah, I, this is one of the more efficient cards in the set. It, it's not like over the top powerful, but it does so many different things in the kind, types of tech that want to play it that it's it's re- <laughs> it's really strong in that role. Even if it's not obvious where you'd like throw it in all the time, or even yeah. how you play it in those games, because you can play this card several different ways. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I, I I just love the design of it too. I, it it's just a really satisfying card in kind of every way, and I. Really hope that it allows us to play some sort of sacrificing deck in standard or becomes an ingredient in the deck in Pioneer. It is the kind of card that makes decks able to exist because it just binds them together and does all of the things in small ways that that make it way more consistent at doing the things. And it's super cheap. And it's one black mana. mana. Yeah. Oof. 
Love it. Uh, my blacklist is not dissimilar, but I've got a, a couple of weird ones. <laughs> so my number five is Archpriest of Shadows. <laughs> nice. Okay. This is a 3BB Human Warlock 4-4 with Death Touch. Backup one. So it'll give Death Touch and whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player or battle, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Again, this is like a five drop that's clearly worse than all of their options. <laughs> but <laughs> the fact that you get to back up so you can like haste out a creature and try to get something back from your graveyard is a mm -hmm. little appealing. I, I still think it falls short from all the other great five drops we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. But it, this can have its little niche as you've you've got some small guys. I, I, for some reason, the card that's coming down is Falaji Architects, Archaeologists. But like any anything that dumps creature <laughs> things into your graveyard and is a creature, mm -hmm. and you can just smack them with it because it, it does give the creature death touch. So you're getting something out of it no matter what. Yeah. But if you pick a board state right where you can just get in with the creature and get something back, that's a really big swing. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I don't think it happens that often, which is why I think it's much worse than these other creatures. But it is super interesting. Yeah, it's it's a sweet card, and it's definitely very powerful when it works but yeah certainly the competition of shieldred invoke despair cruelty of gix makes it a stretch and cruelty of gix just kind of does it all by itself even in the space that this card's trying to operate <laughs> yeah and although like this thing maybe gives you more value on your reanimation turn than if you just use cruelty of gix as a reanimation spell the consistency of cruelty of gix can't really be denied yeah so unfortunate but that is just number five. My number four is Scornblade Berserker. I, again, I love this card, and I think it's probably one of the better ones in the set. Mm -hmm. But it's hard for me to find a place for it. Yeah. My number three is Pylon. That's that Convoke Removal spell that surveils. I think it's just a really solid card. Yeah, I agree. Number two is Bloated Processor. This is not a card we've talked about yet. Mm. This is two and a B for a 3-2 Phyrexian. Uh, with the abilities sacrifice another phyrexian put a plus one counter on it and when it dies you incubate x where x is its power so i didn't do a scryfall search on how many phyrexians we want to be playing in this bloated processor deck but i think it's just a good three drop like just having a a warpath ghoul that dies into a three three is solid to me like sure. that's two bodies for the price of one I don't actually have that much to say about it other than that. Like, if you can find ways to put other Phyrexians in your deck, you get more utility. But I honestly do not know. Like, you're not sacrificing Shieldred to Bloated Processor if we can help No, it. but if you type Phyrexian and Standard into Scryfall, the number of Phyrexians in Standard is enormous. Also, all of the Mites are Phyrexians. So if you're making any of those tokens, then I think Crawling Chorus is a Phyrexian that dies into a Phyrexian. Yes. I'm, I'm just looking so, at like, the black Phyrexians right now and kind of looking for standard playable ones. I wonder if I sort by like price. That'll probably get me better. <laughs> so we have Shieldred, Shieldred, Gix. Then it kind of gets medium from there. Though other bloated processors will help bloated processor if you really want to do that. The white Phyrexian cards seem to be the best ones with Crawling Chorus and the Mites. Like the Murex makes Mites as well. Yeah. Pri and, and even Elish Norn. Like if you're... <laughs> If you've assembled this mythical black-white Phyrexian deck, 4-drop Elish North would be really good in it because it makes a ton of Phyrexians and you're <laughs> using all your creatures to like turn her on. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I, I think that there is kind of a seeded, like, black-white Phyrexian creature type tokens sort of sacrifice deck that is, like, Elish Norn is supposed to be a part of. So that's that's kind of, like, teased a little bit and, and maybe a possibility. I don't know if it has the the power to compete, but I, I do think just, like, Bloated Processor is a fine 3-drop mm-hmm. uh, that can compete with other similar 3-drops in its class. Like, it, it just dies into two creatures it's inherent card advantage even if you're not using the nantuko husk ability sure i think you want to be using the ability to some extent you're hoping you have some mites or something in your deck then and then it converts them pretty well because it gets a counter and then that gives an extra counter to the to the thing it dies into yeah to the incubator is that what it's called uh yes the incubate makes an incubator (laughs) yes and, and plus, if you like land shielded, shielded into play and they take it out, you can sacrifice it to the processor and it does get bigger that way. Because there's sure. no shot you're not playing shielded with this card, right? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Omnath uh, Om- Locus of All is a Phyrexian elemental. I'm trying my best not to play five colors. <laughs> oh, you only need... Well, yeah, I guess if you're Excuse playing it with a black card, then you are playing five colors. <laughs> yeah, Omnath's only four colors. What about playing it? Processor. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I just I just like that card. I think it's pretty neat. Yeah. Then I've got Shieldred. No title, Shieldred. We already talked about mm-hmm. her. She's my number one card. I think she has, again, really rough competition in the five drop slot. Uh, but that probably changes with rotation, and she does not. And she's very good, especially going late. Yeah, and she's just generically super powerful. So mm-hmm. it's not like, you know. Like, there are versions of the mid-range black deck that invoke, like, you know, forget the cards that we play in the mid-range black deck right now, but there are versions of a mid-range black deck that invoke despair, like, wouldn't be that great in because the two damage that you get out of it, like, isn't super relevant. You're not dealing a lot of damage in other ways, but basically any mid-range black deck, like, Shieldred will be strong in. Yeah, I I agree. Well, I think she's a little more context, like format dependent. But it is nice that she gets planeswalkers. I think that's a big deal because it's not CTP <laughs> second on token creature. It also grabs a planeswalker if they're not a creature based yeah. deck. Well, cool. So that's that's black. Uh, ready to go onto red. I am ready to go onto red. I have several spicy ones in red. Red is really spicy. But yeah. So I I'm gonna go with my number five. Let me find the text on this card. Number five for me is City on Fire. Oh my god. <laughs> what? <laughs> go read it. I know I know what this card does, but this go read is it. five RRR for an enchantment with convoke. So eight I guess mana I total. got my eight mana convoke sorcery card, so you can have your eight mana convoke yeah, sorcery yeah. card. This is if a source you control would deal damage to a permanent or player. It deals triple that damage instead. <laughs> So I have no idea where you want to put this card. Like, I don't think you, I'm sure you don't want to put it in like a traditional modern red deck where you're just like tapping all your creatures to put an A drop into play and then just like not tagging with them. That seems terrible. Though, granted, if you do do that and they, I mean, you probably win as long as you don't just, yeah. Because then you just lightning strike them for nine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're not coming back from that. Your Phoenix chick just hits for three or six if you get the counter on it. Your, your other phoenixes the two drop ones they all come back 
after you've played with fire them for six and then you're just mm-hmm. going in for 12 or whatever yeah yeah it, it, once this card's in play you are winning the game unless I mean, you've you're died you're definitely playing phoenix chick if you're trying to convoke out the eight mana red enchantment right so yeah well if you could cheat this out in a different way mm. uh, i know academy rector is not legal in like any format and this is the worst enchantment for that but if you can <laughs> somehow get this card into the battlefield without needing to play a million creatures it's a very powerful effect it is i don't disagree I have no idea where we're putting this. I just like the text on it. I think it's neat, and I wanted to recognize that it existed. That's fair. I I think it's really unlikely that you can justify putting this into anything, but certainly once it is in play, then all of your cards are like crazy. The thing I really wanted to do with this would be something like, like in current standard, I think it's unplayable. But in a theoretical standard where you can have something like Legion War Boss or Siege Commander or something that like just puts tokens into play, uh, Mog War Marshal, mm-hmm. like anything like that where you're just like kind of playing this not overtly aggressive but not defensive deck where you're just like putting creatures into play kind of for free mm-hmm. off of your other cards. I think City of Fire would be very good in those type of decks because you can actually take the time. Like your opponents are like 11 or whatever when you're reaching these critical turns and you can just play an A-drop with all your creatures. I mean- Certainly, like, back at the point in Magic where, like, Siege Gang Commander was a good Magic card, then I think probably you would have, like, played some copies of City on Fire in your Siege Gang Commander decks. So if we get playable versions of Siege Gang Commander and that type of deck is good in Standard, then I could see it, yeah. I mean, I played with Siege Gang Commander when Dominaria was legal, so it's not that far off. It was not that good when Dominaria was legal. I still played with it. I didn't say it was good. <laughs> you know what else was legal when Dominaria was legal? Yeah, Experimental Frenzy. It was sick. Goblin Chain Whirler. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. God, I hate that card. Anyway, that that's just number five. We're, we're just yes, getting a little spicy. A, you're right. That's the appetizer. So we're going to the more classically put together cards now with Rampaging <laughs> Raptor. This is just your generic 2RR questing beast. <laughs> Trample haste dinosaur. Yep. Uh, with a weird fire breathing ability. Two and a red. Give it plus two plus L until end of turn. Uh, and whenever it deals combat damage to an opponent, it deals that much damage to target planeswalker that player controls or battle that player protects. So this is a questing beast that works really well if you're trying to attack or kill any of the red invasions. The red battles mm-hmm. of which i think there are actually quite a few good ones and not yeah. just like the modern red ones which are good but also some of the gold invasions i think the red versions of those are, are on mm-hmm. my gold list i think they're quite good uh, yeah. invasion of ergamon and asgol is that the red black one i think it is i think it's very intentional that invasion of ergamon has five defense because like invasion of yeah. ergamon into this if that flipped it that would be such a nutty start it, it would be, it'd be so, and you could just get another battle right with the, yeah. the backside of invasion of ergamon it, yeah I'll, I'll talk about invasion of ergamon later because that's definitely on my list later on but Same. rampaging raptor just number four red card it's just like you know four four trample haste does the thing is a mid-range red card uh, and ha- has a really good time flipping your battles Mm-hmm. or killing their planeswalkers if they're you know doing that but whatever yeah but i mean every time you got to go questing beast hit you for four kill your planeswalker it was just such an enormous swing and this card does that same thing yeah it questing beast hit you put your ogre to two 
It was yeah, they also they also couldn't attack you when you had questing beast in play because it had vigilance. <laughs> so at least like this lets them continue doing some things in the game. Yeah. No, the questing beast is nice. Or I'm sorry, rampaging raptor still is nice even without vigilance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does have trample, which questing beast did not have. So you can force through damage on planeswalkers and true uh, questing beast was not blockable by creatures that it would likely trample over though so that's fair six of one half dozen of the other like you can operate after like whatever (laughs) yeah i i love the pump design because it's just like if you really want to kill your opponent's battle like you can just spend your whole turn paying mana into this thing to like get it get its power up high enough yeah i don't don't think you're going to be interested in that most times like it's just like a an extra ability but I mean, if you really need this dragon to yeah. breathe fire, or this sorry, yeah. this dinosaur to breathe fire, <laughs> sure, then you can. Uh, my number three is my favorite invasion in the set. It's invasion of Kaldheim. So this is three and a red for a battle with four defense. That f- magic four number again. Uh, when Invasion of Kaldheim enters the battlefield, you exile all cards from your hand, then draw that many cards. Until the end of your next turn, you may play cards exiled this way. So you're like banking your hand. And then when it transforms, after you've defeated it, it transforms into Pyre of the World Tree, which is an enchantment with a discarded land card. Pyre of the World Tree deals two damage to any target. And whenever you discard a land card, exile the top card of your library, you can play that card this turn. It's quite a seismic assault on the backside. Yeah, it's really good on the backside. I've actually seen this card in action in standard now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the middest mono red deck I've ever seen. Oh, uh, God, the, yeah. The Seif was playing yep. with uh, Koth, the new Koth. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the synergy in that deck between Koth and Kaldheim was incredible. <laughs> because Koth ults so fast, you could just like play a mountain, flip your battle, then all your mountains were like cycling (laughs) it it was really cool yeah i mean i think that that was just as like go bigger board plan in an aggressive red deck you know he just like brought in some coths when he had to play against rectos mostly but yes it did i was watching the stream too and it did make me think like can we is big red is that like a thing it never is no it's not a thing seems like it could be but yes this card uh, definitely loves playing with Koth, that is for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think we can do big, big red with Koth, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But I do think this card still has legs, even without the, like, Koth framework. Mm-hmm. Because it, it has the, like, four mana card advantage thing, where you're just throwing away your hand to play with two hands for your next turn. And then if you ever transform this, you're it, it's very strong on the backside. Yeah. The discard a land card, start throwing things at your opponents for two, and then you get to draw cards whenever you do that. So you're just like, the only time you hit a dead draw is if you discard a land and then hit a land that you can't play. That's like the mm-hmm. only time you hit dead draws off the Pyre of the World Tree. Otherwise, you're just casting whatever you play or playing your first land. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also a few cards in the set where you can just deal forward to a battle. Like if you're opponent is in that spot especially if you're playing a card like invasion of call time where you're not just straight trying to be as aggressive as possible but you still need to kill your opponent you can play cards that deal four damage like stoke the flames or invasion of Forgotha or rampaging raptor is that the card mm-hmm. yeah rampaging raptor. yeah, Anything yeah that and that flips makes this battles, pretty flippable yeah yeah and once you flipped your invasion of call time you are doing it yep 
Yeah, I mean, I I can more easily picture in my head now a deck that wants Invasion of Kaldheim in it. And I do think, yeah, it involves some number of these cards that you just cast them and it flips it. And then you're just really using that backside at that point. I'm, I'm into it as that kind of effect. The, the front side of Invasion of Kaldheim also makes it a lot easier to get to those cards to flip it. Because mm-hmm. presumably you spend the first three turns. I mean, you're going to play a Fable in this deck. So you have yeah. some board presence. You just need to to play standard. Uh, but when you cast your invasion, you're also drawing a bunch of cards to find ways to flip it, whether you're pushing mm-hmm. through the battlefield or just a card that can flip it on its own or whatever. And then once you've got that flip side, you have a large control over the battlefield at that point. Yep. Yep. All right, so that's Invasion of Call Time. That's that's my that's probably my favorite card on my list, even though I don't think it's the strongest in the set. Sure, but it's very fun. Yeah. So I've got Blood Feather Phoenix as number two, which is just a just a good Chandra's Phoenix. So this is one in a red for a two-two flyer that cannot block, and whenever an instant sorcery you control deals damage to an opponent or a battle, you can pay a red mana, and if you do, return it from your graveyard to the battlefield, and it gains haste until end of turn. Uh, so this is very reminiscent of Chandra's Phoenix, which had the same sort of like trigger where you, if you deal damage to them with a spell, you get it back from your graveyard. Chandra's Phoenix went to your hand and was still a good card. This one just goes straight to the battlefield. So anytime you have multiples of these in your graveyard, you feel the difference extremely. Like you're just putting all these cards into play instead of putting them into your hand and casting them. Yeah. Which is much better. And just... The haste lets you just attack with them immediately to try and end the game. Yeah, I also really like like this is a really good spot for the plus one plus one counter from Kumano faces Kakazan. If you go turn one Kumano, turn two Bloodfeather Phoenix, it's a three three. They can't cut it down. Like they have to figure out a way to solve it. Like they can't ignore that three three flyer hitting them every turn, and then it's in your graveyard probably for you to get back at some point. It, like that plus one plus one counter on it is significantly better than the plus one plus one counter on just like the two mana two two haste guys. So, yeah, and the and the red decks now have a few more spells that deal damage to face. Like you've got play with fire, you've got lightning strike, and stoke the flames. All yeah. of those deal damage to players to get back your phoenix. It's a slight bummer that uh, invasion of faces Kazakhan. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you have some non-combat sources that deal damage to them and don't trigger this. So, like, Kumano doesn't trigger this. The invasion that deals four to them doesn't trigger this. And, like, that's kind of a bummer. But you still have a decent number of, like, you're going to run your play with fires, your lightning strikes, and probably stoke the flames. And that's, like, a lot to get this back with. And it's also a lot of damage. Like, you don't need that many phoenixes to... Like, mm-hmm. first of all, it's a 2-2 flyer, so that's good damage. It forces your opponent to remove it. And then once they've removed it and you're in the stage of the game where you need to, like, put more damage on them from your spells, you get the Phoenix back and you start tagging with it again. Yep. And it's just more damage. It's just such a good inevitability tool. Yep. I agree. Just a good two-drop. And my number one is Chandra, Hope's Beacon. Four red-red for mm-hmm. five mana Planeswalker. Or sorry, five loyalty Planeswalker. <laughs> Six mana. Uh, whenever you cast an insert sorcery spell, copy it. You can choose new targets for the copy that this ability only triggers once per turn. Plus two, add two mana in any combination of colors. Plus one, exile the top five cards of your library. <laughs> Until the end of your next turn, you may cast one instant sorcery from among the ex- those exiled cards. End of your next turn, so you get a whole turn cycle with this. Uh, and then minus X, it deals X damage to each of up to two targets. 
This is the mythical big red planeswalker. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I just think this is a good top end red planeswalker for any deck that can afford to cast it. Mm -hmm. uh, the passive ability, the the static ability, is really really strong. The yeah, copy spells you play each turn, especially because uh, it combines with that mana ability to yeah. like immediately do that. And, and it starts at five, but goes straight up to seven if you need to use the mana. Mm -hmm. So any turn you go Chandra on six plus two play two drop spell, you've gotten paid off immensely, and it's very difficult to kill Chandra. Mm -hmm. uh, also, one of the things I like about this is that it's we talked about invasion of Fiora a little earlier, where it was like a six mana wrath conditional mm -hmm. wrath. This is not a conditional wrath, but it is a six mana thing that kills two targets, which is yeah. useful in styles of decks that need to cast cards like Chandra. <laughs> Yes. Because if it's not safe to play a planeswalker, they have like two things in play. You can at least kill two of them. If they only got one thing in play, you can hit a creature and if you're playing it, a battle, because this can target battles. Mm, uh, that's true. If you do it for four, which is the number a lot of battles required to be defeated, you get to keep the Chandra. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um it's too bad that she dies when she's taking out a shieldred, but at least she got the shieldred off the board on her way out. And something else. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like this card too. I don't know. I, I don't know if the mid-range decks like need to go up to six mana for this kind of thing right now, but I think over the course of its lifetime in standard, it will make appearances because it, it is really powerful and does a bunch of stuff the turn it comes into play. And then if it ever sticks around any longer than that, it's just putting the game away at that point. Right. That's where I wasn't super confident in this card because it was one of the very earliest cards spoiled from the set. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't super confident because it, it costs a lot of mana but the introduction of battles kind of like gave me confidence, more confidence in this card because having yeah. an extra thing to hit to give you an advantage to add to your board right away. Like mm -hmm. if you have one of the battles that just transforms into a creature and you're playing Chandra and you want to kill one of their things and kill you want your battles to flip into a creature, like suddenly yeah. you have something that protects Chandra. And that's something that's not on the face of the card, but is something you can do with it to protect herself, which is sure. super neat. That is pretty cool, yeah. And yeah, I mean, the red battles are are pretty decent and also some red multicolored battles and just other ones can could work with this pretty well. Yeah, that, that's that's all I've got to say about Chandra. I, I, I really like the card. I do think she's a little too expensive and I'm a little worried about her vulnerability to cards like five mana shieldred where. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the dream with five mana shieldred is that yeah. your opponent like <laughs> put a Chandra down on an empty board, like drew a spell off of it and then you just like kill it. Oh no, <laughs> that 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 would crush me. I would have to go home after that. Yeah. All right. So my number five is Kenra Spellspear. I just okay. love prowess creatures. I actually had this on my list until I decided to get really crazy with City on Fire. Mm -hmm. I, I like this card a lot. I mean, it it just is like pretty good, pretty efficient. One in a red for a. 2-2 Trample Prowess, and it transforms for 3 and a blue Phyrexian and turns into a 3-3 Trample Double Prowess with Ward 2. And I, I, it's probably not the easiest to find a spot to flip it, but when you do flip it, Double Ward or Double Prowess and Ward makes it just like an absolute monster on the battlefield. Yeah, it's it's really strong on its backside. Uh, which makes it kind of interesting because it's not that bad on the front side either. Like a 2-2 Trample with Prowess is 
Yeah, not the greatest, but it's respectable. Yeah, and then it just threatens, like, if you ever are not keeping mana up, then I'm going to, like, flip this and cast a spell, hit you for five, pass the turn with this ward creature in play. That's that's very threatening. The only weird part to me about this card is it doesn't have double trample on the back. Mm, Yeah, because it had double prowess, double ward. Yeah. Like, it needs double trample, right? Yes. That's, yep, it just needs to be fully symmetrical. <laughs> it's also blue on the backside, so it's like a little better at convoking your blue spells for whatever that's worth. I don't know if we're trying to, I, when I flip I don't this ever card, want to tap I'm this thing except them. for attacking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm killing them with this card. I am not <laughs> convoking a spell to grow it to a 5-5 five, five or 7-7. Seven, seven what, like, what if well, you're untapping now. it? With your your invasion of Segovia, that's at the end of the turn. I have yeah, already you, passed. Yeah, the you can attack phase. with it, and then once you untap, oh, you can cast okay, your. Okay. There's yeah, yeah, like yeah, a, that's, that's the fine, X that's and fine. X blue 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 convoke spell. So you need the max number of blue creatures to make that work. So I don't want to play a card that draws X cards and a no, card with double do I. prowess and trample <laughs> in the same deck. <laughs> I I don't either. Uh, my number four is Bloodfeather Phoenix. Just a solid two drop that clearly is good as long as there is a red deck. So easy. My number three is Invasion of Mercadia, which is pretty speculative, but I just like what this card does. This is one in red for a four defense siege. Uh, when it ETBs, you may discard a card. If you do draw two cards, it flips into a 3-3 spell shaper that you can pay two in a red and tap it and discard a card to create two 1-1 tokens and creatures you control get plus one plus oh and haste until end of turn, which is a lot of damage really fast. Mostly this is like, yes, tormenting voice, but then there's a threat there and they need to like worry about like, oh, are are they just going to get a free 3-3 with a very relevant ability. Uh, So if you're trying to discard cards and then you also just have incidental ways to like flip a battle, whether that's like some 4-4 hastes or some stoke the flames, direct damage stuff, I think that this is just representing enough value on the backside that I'm I'm pretty compelled by it and pretty interested in what this thing is doing. And, you know, the tokens are blue and red, so you can convoke. You can convoke. (laughs) You can convoke off of them. (laughs) I don't think we're casting a tormenting voice on turn two if we're trying to convoke. <laughs> that's a that's a real problem with the convoke deck. Is that a lot of things that make the creatures are the cards that you don't want to convoke with? Yeah. <laughs> I and I think that the gap between four defense and five defense on the battles is gigantic. It's why like invasion of Tarkir, despite being a clearly pushed like mythic battle, like just doesn't didn't make either of our lists i think it's like very difficult to flip a five defense battle like it's like yeah i think the front side is actually not good uh two mana for a shock is not a good rate especially at sorcery speed i mean you're uh, yeah you're trying i know you're trying trying to to get three or more damage out of it but But, yeah but since that's conditional and you're not always going to have it Mm -hmm. it's not good enough right right the floor is pretty weak and also, since it has five defense, e- even if you're playing it with a bunch of dragons, all of the good dragons have four power. So this is yeah. like dragon hit plus in order to flip it. And I think it's just much easier to flip the four defense ones. You know, the 
the raptor has four power. That's what you want to use to flip a battle with, and it doesn't flip your five defense battles in one hit. Yeah, if I want to flip Invasion of Tarkir, I have to play like actual ship and dragon. <laughs> I mean, we can find something better than nope. that, but <laughs> you do need five power to really do it efficiently. Uh, my number two red card is Atali Primal Conqueror. This is five red red for a seven seven trample. When it ETBs, each player exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card. You may cast any number of spells from among the non-land cards exiled this way without paying their mana costs. You can also pay nine and a green Phyrexian to transform it, and it transforms into a Blightsteel Colossus. This is a seven mana, seven, seven. It's just another gigantic creature that is fantastic to cheat into play, especially in standard where the mana costs are a little bit higher. And then the value you get from like flipping a random spell out of each person's deck is probably enough to win the game right there. And then I think it's very good with Cruelty of Gix. I have also seen people playing most of the mono white decks that you see in the standard results now are splashing for Fable of the Mirror Breaker and a couple of copies of Atali because you can actually kill your opponent with Atali and none of mono white's other cards actually kill your opponent. So already seeing quite a bit of play. And I think like there's there's spots where like Atraxa is just like not good enough to cheat into play. You die if they have a go for the throat and that's not the case with Atali. Yeah, Atali does stuff immediately. Like, immediately adds to the board if you flip creatures or spells mm -hmm. some of the time. Uh, which attracts I, I mean, if you flip a random spell from each of your decks and put this 7-7 in play, like, you're not dying on your opponent's next turn. Yeah, it's highly unlikely. You're, you're, you're not, you know. Yeah. Plus, you also get to live the dream of flipping it and just killing them in one shot. Yes, which... I think that that is a very realistic part of the mono white game plan now is like, I'll flip an Atali eventually and kill you with it. It does a little annoy me that the, it's not exactly Blightsteel classes on the back. I wish this would, they would have just given the card infect. Mm -hmm. Because one of my least favorite parts about, or, one, or actually one of my favorite parts about Blightsteel classes combat is that if you attack them into each other, they just trade instead yes. of just bouncing off each other for eternity. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many flipped Atalis are going to be facing off from each other. But at least one. At least one. It's going to happen one time. And they're just going to have 11 11 staring across each other. And they're like, well, I wish I could attack here. Yes. But I don't think it's going to happen often enough to be like a card design problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. But just, you know, if you're going to make a Blight Steel Colossus, just give it an effect. Like, come on. Yeah. You have I 40 mean, million keywords in this set, which are on like a couple cards. In the last set, they put flashback on one card. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, that was sick. Yeah, they could have done it. And they didn't even put it on a whole card. It should have been half of a card. It's on the back. <laughs> Anyways, my number one is Nahiri's Warcrafting. Okay. I, I is... considered this card, but I thought it was pretty low impact. Go ahead. I think it's actually like a really big deal. One red red for sorcery deals five damage to target creature, planeswalker, or battle. Look at the top X cards of your library where X is the excess damage dealt this way. You may exile one of those cards, put the rest on the bottom. You may play the exile card this turn. I think that it is just a card that you can put four of even in an aggressive red deck that kills Shieldred. And that on its own is like really important. But I've also just seen it played on a bunch of streams and the flexibility of being able to hit battles is very good and very important if your opponent doesn't have stuff to hit with it and you're playing battles in your deck 
then this gets to just be a threat and maybe a card. Uh, and that's very strong. And then even when it's just like, okay, I guess I'm hitting this Blood Tithe Harvester with this Nahiri's Warcrafting. That's fine. You get to look at the top three, pick the best card out of it, and then play that card this turn. It, it's been really impressive, and it kills Shieldred and is a red card. So No, I, yeah, I think that's reasonable. Maybe I, I was a little too dismissive of it, I think. But it is just a fine red card. It does worry me in a couple aspects, like where it's double red, it's a sorcery, mm-hmm. that sort of deal. Like, the, For sure. aren't deal breakers, they're just like little downsides. But, I mean, if you're trying to go into a format where you need to kill a five toughness creature, this is the best card to do it. Yep. And I do think red got enough tools that you'll be looking for red removal spells for various decks over the course of, you know, the next two years of standard. <laughs> so funny how we went from always one when red was a garbage color it probably shouldn't have been a set to like this <laughs> set where we talked about like almost 10 cards <laughs> yeah i and i am interested in like all of them i want to try all of them yeah on, on to, to green? green yeah yeah <laughs> all right my number five green card is tribute to the world tree this is green, green, green for an enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card if its power is three or greater. Otherwise, put two plus one plus one counters on it. Pretty reasonable chance that this never sees any play at all because the mana cost is prohibitive. It, you kind of have to be mono green or have incredible lands. But it's really, really strong. If you just play this early and untap with it, every creature in your deck is an insane card after that and that's enough that i'm like kind of interested in what this thing is doing i don't know if it's strong enough to you know elf out in pioneer (laughs) but you know then all of your elves are three threes all of your creatures that cost two or more are probably drawing you a card and that's that's kind of incredible no i i i actually am glad you put this card on your list because i have i have this card at number three (laughs) okay I really like this card, specifically for mono green in Pioneer, mm. because Kiora is among the strongest cards in that deck because mm-hmm. of the the way, like she's a mana engine, which this card is not, so obviously Kiora is still better. But the, the cantripping off your creatures allows you to really go deep with the Nykthos mana that you're making mm-hmm. to like go through your deck and just put a million power into play in one turn. Sure. And and having extra copies of Kiora in Tribute to the World Tree that is also triple green for Nykthos <laughs> is actually something there, I feel like. And it has a little bit of a like a buyout where if Kiora, if you're playing your Pelupernoses and your Trolls or whatever, and you draw mm-hmm. Lanor Elves at the end of your chain, you're like, oh, well, I guess I'll just play these and they're 1-1s one and I don't draw cards. At least with this card, they're 3-3s. Three yeah. Yep. I don't know if the mono green deck is the place for it because that deck is so tight and even got like. Yeah, I'm not saying you play like four copies of this. I'm like saying you maybe play one copy of this. And just as a gotcha. Sure. I, I can see that for sure. And then if there are enough good green cards in standard that you're just like, oh, wow, I can just. I, I hit 36 spells in one color then tribute to the world tree is one of them, then that's probably a pretty good deck. Yeah, I if we can do this in standard, I think tribute to the world tree. The fact that it triggers off of power three or greater instead of four or greater, which is usually mm-hmm. like the break point on these green cards, is pretty big because yeah, it it turns your basically everything for three mana up just always draws a card. Yeah, even your yeah. utility like three power creatures is just drawing cards now. The 
contagious Vorak just draws a card and another card. Yeah. It's the best divination you've ever seen. It's it's my favorite pig in standard. <laughs> yeah, I like this card. I'm interested in in seeing it. I would love if I could just build a mono green all creature and tribute to the world tree standard deck <laughs> and just bash with it. God, I wish we had a some sort of mana dork that worked with tribute because playing it on turn two would be strong. It's a lot better, yeah. Yeah. They don't they don't let us do that so much anymore. No. I mean it wasn't that long ago where we had Lanor Elves. That was a minute. That was Dominaria <laughs> was the last time. Yeah, I guess that's fair. It was a minute ago. Yeah. My number four is Ancient Imperiosaur. This is just another gigantic convoke card, but this one might Our list comprises of like at least six dinosaurs. <laughs> a lot of dinosaurs, yeah. This is five green green for a six six convoke trample ward two. Ancient Imperiosaur enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters for each creature that convoked it. We've already seen this like with some gleeful sabotage to like cheat it out, and then you know, even just like gleeful sabotage into this makes this a four mana. 12 12 trample ward two like um what card, and then what card is gleeful sabotage that's the Coldotha rebirth oh gleeful destruction okay oh gleeful destruction whatever yeah. it's called when you when you said gleeful sabotage i'm like isn't that the conspire naturalize oh, maybe and it, it is <laughs> i like okay. looked it up <laughs> what card is he talking about <laughs> sure but anyways any tokens into this uh we've seen all lists in pioneer now that are just running four fierce empath because getting this card is like what they want to do and and you just play elves and fierce empath and ancient imperious or and then it's a gigantic ward threat doesn't die to any red sweepers or anything that people would try to clean your elves up with it's actually kind of hard to kill it with a targeted removal spell i think this card's just actively good yeah it's got to be a go for the throat and even then like if you're cheating out early enough it's like your whole turn to go for the throat this imperious or so you don't die to it because it's so big right and then they just like they have the creatures that convoked it out you spent four mana to kill one thing and then they just start attacking you yeah this card's also super cheap like seven mana with convoke for like a a creature this large Mm -hmm. is really good rate Uh, also aspiring spike has done like i kind of want to call them showcase screenshots where you just like chatter storming out a bunch of stuff (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and like putting in 2020s and play yeah you i've get also, 14 counters i've seen the list with uh torch courier so you can haste it up after putting the 2020 into play so adorable yeah yeah i, I don't mind this card i i think it's it, definitely its own kind of deck like you're you're meeting it when you put imperious or in your deck for sure I think it gives a payoff for that type of deck that we kind of haven't had and is just like a real reason to be doing the like, I can make a lot of one ones real quick sort of strategy where now instead of just bushwhackers, you have like an alternate like way of getting there. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Imperius Sword. Yeah. Uh, my number three, which maybe should be swapped. I, I feel like I'm higher on Ancient Imperiosaur than this card, especially after talking about it. But this my number is an th- art, not a science. <laughs> yeah. My number three is Invasion of Zendikar. Three and a green for a three defense battle when it ETBs. 
you search your library for up to two basic land cards, put them onto the battlefield, then shuffle, and then it flips into a 4-4 haste vigilance land creature that taps for a mana of any color. I think that we're in a spot where explosive vegetation is close to good enough, or maybe even just good enough. The sevens that you can ramp into are incredible in Atraxa and Especially Atali. Atali, yeah. And the fact that if you just have a... Uh, contagious vorex sitting around then you can flip this and then your explosive vegetation was not a a, a tempo sink you just got a 4-4 out of it too like anytime you do that this card is nuts but i think also explosive vegetation might just be good enough in standard anyways one of the things i I'm all, i also like this card i have it on my list but it came to my attention recently that you can use this card with storm the festival and just put this card to play with storm the festival like as oh, part true. of your ramp strategy and that's something yeah. you couldn't do with normal sorcery explosive vegetations because no that's a, a really card. good point yeah and then this gives you gets you really close to the flashback of storm the festival it does yeah and if you you know if you storm the festival even if you're playing seven drops or whatever and you're putting them on the bottom of your deck storm can't grab them mm-hmm. at least you have backup like your your deck's not full of expensive stuff and nothing like you you're mm-hmm. storming the festival into some stuff like even if you're not yeah. hitting the sevens it's tough to put that deck composition yeah. together I, like I the agree. storm the festival deck in pioneer is very specifically like i cannot justify anything that costs more than five mana in this deck except for maybe the one of cityscape leveler that is now no longer in in most of the main decks but like yeah I, but if you're if you're not going at into all sevens and you're just trying to get storm the festival primarily with a few sevens then i could see it more more able especially in yeah. standard and not pioneer where your deck doesn't have to be as powerful to compete against like grease fangs clock or whatever right uh and one thing that's actually also kind of cool is you're one of your giant over the top places to put the mana from something like this could be vorinclex which is a five mana creature which didn't make my list but you know, it is a five mana six six and that flips into a saga that kills them. Yeah, I think it flips if you have eight lands, right? Isn't that what the card flips? Condition? But you have to pay you have to pay eight mana. Oh yeah. Okay, sorry. It doesn't flip if you have eight lands. It just has no other condition except for eight mana. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. But I think the the backside is not that good, if I recall correctly. It like if you're playing a ramp deck, it should kill oh, them. Oh, yeah. The first chapter is insane, and then the rest doesn't matter. That's what, yeah. that's what it was. I remember now. <laughs> yeah. But it's just kind of nice because, like, your Storm of the Festival does hit that. So that mm-hmm. may be a way that this deck is built. And Vorinclex has reach. Yeah. It's hard to kill you through Vorinclex. My number two is Ozolith, the Shattered Spire. One in a green for a legendary artifact with hardened scales text, uh, although it also applies to artifacts, not just creatures, that it gives the extra plus one plus one counter to. Uh, and then one in a green tap, put a plus one plus one counter on target artifact or creature you control, activate only as a sorcery, and it also cycles for two. Just, you know, hardened scales number five and six for hardened scales deck. It's going to see play doing that stuff. My, my favorite thing is people memeing on the hardened scales people on Twitter, of which I like identify as somewhat yes. <laughs> so it's like that it's just one more hardened scales it'll be good i swear just one more <laughs> <laughs> well so the thing about the other hardened scales is that they are all creatures and like 
Fatal Push is only very medium against hardened scales, unless you have put a winding constrictor into play, and then it's really good. So this is a big upgrade from that kind of the card. Yeah, I, I like the Ozzel. I think it's very good at what it does. I still don't really see a place for it, but it is interesting if you could do anything in standard with it, mm -hmm. uh, with like Botanical Brawler is the green-white card. Yeah. Uh, which I think is actually pretty impressive with the Ozolith, especially if you are if you can find cards that support it. Mm -hmm. But I'm not... I, I don't think the cards are there right now. I think they're very low power. Right. But I'm hopeful that since they're doing the Ozolith and the Kami, which is also another hard skill effect in this set, if they're doing that with more regularity, maybe you can actually assemble a standard deck with those cards, like if they keep printing them. That Kami is the most terrifying thing that your opponent can so play good. on turn three. <laughs> so this is a two and a green one one that has a hardened scales ability, and it taps to add uh, mana of any color equal to its power. Uh, when your opponent plays that on turn three and you don't have a kill spell for it, you're just like, please don't have any backup creature. If you have any backup creature, I'm just dead on the spot because it comes down, puts two counters on the Kami. The Kami taps for three mana, and you never recover from that. Yeah, it's 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 done. <laughs> it it is cool that they put that Kami and the Ozolith in this set with backup, which mm -hmm. is a cool like limit and incubate, I guess, even though it's not yeah. really a green mechanic. Uh it, it's cool, like crossover design. Yeah. I mean I could see the Ozolith in standard with just like a little bit more support. There are some backup creatures that are close and I don't know exactly what color combination, probably green white, but I, I could see that working out potentially. Yeah, I think you have to be green white because of the botanical brawler. I, I think that card, once it gets going, is so strong, especially if you have an Ozolith in play. It's mm -hmm. just basically tripling your counter output. Yeah. And it triggers every time you put a counter on a different thing. Mm -hmm. And not yeah. just once per turn. Yeah, you, you you go real tall with that thing. I made it a 17-17 in one turn in a, a game of limited. It was <laughs> it was nice. How was the game not over? I, I mean, that ended the game oh, that I turn. See. I see. So it was a. I had the Kami in play, and then I cast uh, the thing that puts plus one plus one counters on four of your guys. Yeah, and, and then so I got like game. a lot of triggers and very cute. Yes. Right, number one is a Pelucrinus. Yeah, my number one's Pelucrinus Reborn. GGG four five reach six and a white Phyrexia transform Pelucrinus Reborn. Activate only as a sorcery. Flips into a Worm Coil engine just with reach instead of death touch, and also it turns all of your other hydras into worm coil engines so if you attack with a lair of the hydra and they trade for it you get two three threes out of the deal yeah just don't do your scryfall searches for hydras <laughs> it's no. probably not and, i mean it it really like makes the you can't activate lair of the hydra for zero text like extremely relevant because if you could just kill a lair to get two three threes and never die and comp you know that that would just be an additional like nutty piece of this card but as it stands this card is so good in mono green it should be your flex slots if you're running fewer than three of this in your mono green deck like have like explain it to me like have a real reason for it because this card does so much it like hedges all of your weaknesses to ledger shredders and to spirits it it's single-handedly demolishes spirits it's yeah. so embarrassing for them it's so good against them and then it also gives you access to a much more consistent like low ball card advantage 
game plan. So your opponent is holding up Disdainful Stroke. So you just go Kiora, Troll, Pelucranos Reborn. And the higher density of these GGG creatures with four power that draw cards off of your Kiora, fuel your Nykthos, so then you can like blast through their counter magic that they've been holding up as you're developing your mana, developing your board. By having like seven copies of the GGG four power creature, you're able to play that game plan much more consistently. And it really, really messes up anybody holding up blue instance if you're able to pull that off and i just think this card does so much for the deck and it's kind of obnoxious because i i think green is is just really good now yeah it's this this card is is quite the card yeah it's funny how when you flip it you lose devotion it's so awkward it's such a weird design it's it's even more confusing on battles like I have multiple times forgotten that my battle was contributing to my devotion. Yeah, and then when I flip it, I lose devotion because it doesn't count the symbols on it. And it, like I moved the card from my opponent's side of the battlefield to my side of the battlefield, and somehow I lost devotion off of the deal. Yeah, devotion is like maybe my least favorite mechanic of all time. So <laughs> I wish Nykthos didn't exist, so I didn't have to keep playing with it. I mean, I wish Nykthos didn't exist for, like, several reasons, but... All right, so my list has some different cards, mostly the same, though. Uh, my number five is Invasion of Zendikar. That's the explosive vegetation that transforms into a land creature. Uh, my number four, I actually changed at the last minute. It used to be Deep Root White Wayfinder, which mm -hmm. is a kind of piddly two-drop, two-three. Yeah, I don't have time for, like, goofy two-mana two-threes that, like, have a combat damage trigger that's but not then i replaced it with a different two drop mm. in streetwise negotiator oh which sure. is a card i'm actually a little more into mm -hmm. uh, this is a two mana zero two cat citizen with backup one and this creature assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power so at baseline this is a two mana three three Mm -hmm. basically because it's a, it's no it's a one three i guess that assigns power to its toughness <laughs> so i like that just straight up more than deeper was wayfinder which basically is a two three with no text it, it doesn't do anything because you'll never actually connect with it right uh this card does have a little bit of sideways application where you can give haste power to another creature and give it that weird maybe it's a toughness maybe it's a um power boost mm -hmm. for a turn just some weird stuff like that like i don't want to play door in the siege tower tribal or anything <laughs> i just think this is a solid two drop three three if that's something you're in the market for with slight utility either way like i'm not writing home about it but it seems okay and then plus one plus one counter synergies if we're playing an ozolith deck in standard street west negotiator is probably one of our two drops yeah i think it's well maybe the best two drop that isn't the ozolith itself or botanical or, I guess, or botanical for that deck. Yeah. yeah exactly because <laughs> it, it does your synergy stuff doesn't mess anything up because all the hardened scales creatures have square stats they're just mm -hmm. their power is never bigger than their toughness uh, and then it's just a a good three three or four four yeah. if you have hardened scales employed yeah i mean the absolute floor for this is an easy to cast watch wolf and then it just has like little synergies and and nice things that go along with it and then the rest of my list is very similar i've got the tribute to the world tree at number three which we've talked mm -hmm. about ozolith the shattered spire number two and then Pelucranus at number one, because it's sure. so good in Pioneer. Yep, it's pretty unreal. All right, multicolor and such. Yeah, 
mostly multicolor. I don't know how much such there is in this yeah, set. Yeah, there's like almost no such in this set. So I will start with Simone and Dina, which is a Sultai 3-4, three mana total, human dryad. Uh, whenever you draw your second card each turn, target opponent loses two life and you gain two life. Tap it and sacrifice another creature to draw a card. You can put a, car a land from your hand onto the battlefield. And if you control eight or more lands, repeat this process once. I think we've talked about this card like the last four podcasts or whatever. <laughs> Just <laughs> uh, yeah, not it's cool it's, like, though. Phenomenal. It, it's a fine card. It's mm. just neat. Like a Sultai legend with card advantage and damage all tacked into it is nice. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think this makes the cut right now unless we can find a Plaza of Hero decks, Plaza of Heroes deck that is interested in green instead of white for some reason. But in the short term, I just don't see that happening. I think, yeah, while we have Rafine, it is so difficult to justify not being Esper in your Plaza of Heroes deck. Once that's not the case, though, I think Glissa is actually an exceptional card. And Three so maybe Glissa. some Legends deck that is using these things is like kind of what you want. Yeah, I, I do too. You can even play five mana Glissa, and it, it works with Simone and Dina. But honestly, probably. the the immediacy of five mana Glissa and just like giving you value and then threatening is like kind of real. I, I I'm not writing five mana Glissa off as a constructed card. I mean, yeah, she does have the what make two? Is it two twos? When yeah. or they're incubate tokens, but two two yeah. two incubate tokens when she goes to combat. And if if you have other Phyrexians in your deck too, she just makes them impossible to block immediately if that's like what you want to do. I, Again, I don't know. I would have to do a Scryfall search for Yeah, we'd you know, have to do Phyrexians. a Scryfall search for Phyrexians. <laughs> and anyways, legendary. <laughs> she didn't make my list, but I I like I, I don't have zero hope for her to show up in standard. For Glissa or for Zimone? For for Glissa. Okay. But Zimone, I, I'm kind of in the I same place for both I, of them. Zimone, I'm much more into as a three mana creature. So yeah, it's also very well statted for a soul type creature. Like three mana for a three four is nice, especially with mm -hmm. two very good abilities. Yeah. All right, my number four is Jeru and Hazret. This is like a pet card of mine. I, I really sure. like this. How this works in more aggressively slanted Plaza of Heroes decks. So this is a five mana five four two red red white for a legendary human god which has vigilance as long as you or sorry has vigilance and haste as long as you have one or fewer cards in hand and when they attack you look at the top six cards of your library you can exile a legendary creature card from among them put the rest on the bottom in a random order and until end of turn you can cast the exile card without paying its mana cost so in this mythical world <clears throat> where we have a plaza heroes deck in more of a Naya sphere instead of an Esper one, like when Rafine rotates or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, this is where I'm interested because uh, you can have Malera, Skrelv, uh, and I think there was another two drop I was thinking of, but I can't remember right now, uh, into like an aggressive curve. And then Jaren Hazard would be the top end of that curve. That's also a card advantage engine. Mm -hmm. And I, I just like it for that. But right now, I don't think that deck's playable. <laughs> Sure. Because Esper exists and it's just a little more powerful at everything. Yep. I I tend to agree. I do think that this one is kind of like if I think it asks a few too many things, just a little bit too much on a couple different axes. Like it costs five mana. It needs you to Doesn't have always have haste. An empty yeah. hand. It needs you to be dense enough on legends that you know 
you need to be a legend deck that wants this effect. And I think that combination of things is just enough that we're not the most likely to get there. But obviously, when if everything comes together and this is just like a five mana, five four haste that puts a like another five mana card into play or whatever, like that's really good. So I wish this card just always had haste. Yeah, Hazard yeah. always has haste. Why is Hazard well, slacking it, on the job? But Hazard here? can't can't even attack unless you have one of your cards in your hand. Yeah, she can. You just pay three mana and discard a card. She's attacked for two. Hold on. <laughs> That's how Hazaret works. Every time you do activate Hazaret, she does tend to attack that turn. That's kind of how that works. But <laughs> Going on to number three. Number three and two is kind of a combo for me. I have, I have two invasions. Mm. Uh, this is invasion of Azgul and invasion of Ergamon. So let me pull these up and not have them be slanted. Yes. <laughs> so invasion of Azgul is number three. Uh, this is a red-black battle that has a four defense value. When it enters the battlefield, target player sacrifices a creature planeswalker and loses one life. So it's a, a medium edict effect. Flips on four. So when you flip it, it actually flips into a pretty good creature. So it's a red-black zombie elemental 2-1 with menace. And at the beginning of your end step, you put a plus one counter on Ashen Reaper if a permanent was put into a graveyard from the battlefield this turn. So I like this card in battle focus decks where anytime you're trying to flip battles with your mm -hmm. rampaging raptors or and you need fodder like this is a four defense battle that has a really good flip side and a, a serviceable cheap battle that you can put mm -hmm. on early game. It's so like if you you know play this early and make them sacrifice their two drop or their three drop or whatever yeah. and then later in the game you just flip it and have a, a good threat but that's nice. Yeah, a good threat that's like really good at threatening your next battle. Yeah, your next it has battle because it has yeah. menace and it gets very large, especially if you are you keep putting things in the graveyard because this is any graveyard, any permanent. Mm. It doesn't have to be your opponents or yours specifically. It's just if anything goes to a graveyard for a turn, this gets bigger. Right, which means if you flip this on the turn that you cast it, you will get a plus one plus one counter because they sacrificed something. Yeah, which actually is pretty nice if you have Rampaging Raptors in play and they have mm -hmm. like a blocker back and you can just make them sack the blocker, get your 2-1 menace creature, which grows into a 3-2 while hitting them for 4 because you don't have to attack the battle with Raptor. Right. And then you're just like, I think, you're doing it. I think Raptor is really the key for this if you're trying to put like 8 to 10 battles in a deck, like having Raptor yeah. in there is really nice. That's kind of what Raptor is designed for, right? Like it says yeah. it on the card. You want to sure. attack battles with this. Yeah, and I mean, the thing about Questing Beast is, like, if they didn't have Planeswalkers, like, that line of text was, wasn't yeah. a thing, but you get to put the Planeswalkers in your opponent's deck with battles. Yeah, which is super cool. And and they flip into proactive cards. Like, a, you're you're getting, you know what you're getting out of them. And yeah. th this card gives you a creature that grows bigger. I, I, I like this card. I don't think it's as good as the next invasion I'm going to talk about, which is Urgamon. Mm -hmm. So this is a red-green battle with five defense, not four, five. So the worst number. Yeah. Uh, but, but what it gives you on the front side like makes up for that, I think. Yeah, it, it's nice on the front side. When Invasion of Urgon enters the battlefield, you can create you, you create a treasure token, period. Then you may discard a card if you do draw a card. <laughs> so we have like a little tiny fable here mm -hmm. where you get a treasure and you get to do some rummaging if you want. Uh, I think this front side is actually much better than the front side of the previous card. 
and I'm not trying to play this like battle decks specifically, even though I do think it's fine in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just mostly gives you a treasure token to allow you to ramp into whatever your next play is, plus a rummage. And I think this card is, I've actually seen it see play in creativity decks that people are brewing, where sure. you it gives you a treasure for creativity. It then rummages to get you closer to whatever you need for your creativity. And yeah. you're never including like getting rid of the world spine worm in your hand or whatever. So exactly. That's, yeah, that's nice. Uh, something the red blue deck could famously never do. <laughs> well, you have a uh, fire prophecy in the red blue deck, right? Well, volcanic spite now. Yeah. Upgrade, which didn't make our list, but it's just a strict upgrade to a boring removal spell. So obviously very playable. Uh, and the flip side of this card, which I will read is a rhino a red green three four rhino that when it enters the battlefield you can discard a card and if you do search for a library for a land or a battle card reveal it put it into your hand that shuffle so this can grab utility lands on the backside. it doesn't have to grab a basic mm-hmm. uh, and it can grab a battle so if you want to do this in like your battle tribal deck for whatever reason you you, you go for, go for it go nuts or if you want to get another invasion or if you just like have one good big battle in your deck you know, you don't have to be like super focused on this. I did see Spike play an invasion of Alara deck with Vampire Hex Mages, <laughs> which had invasion of Ergamon and such. So you could, if you had too many Hex Mages, you could go grab an invasion of Alara mm-hmm. with your Cliff Charger and then go for it. But yeah, yeah it was it was kind of a meme. <laughs> yeah, I think that's just a, a goof, which I appreciate. I, I I like people just playing for fun. Of course. I don't really have that much more to say about this invasion. I, I just think it's like a fine role player, like a, a two drop that makes two different pieces of permanent. The amount of play that Prosperous Innkeeper saw and then the, you know, Courier's Briefcase sees a fair amount of, you know, niche application. Just a two mana spell that makes a treasure and does something else is just gonna see play. And, and late game, it does a little more than Innkeeper or Courier because you do get to cash out a, a dead card in your hand. Which allows you to keep, you know, sandbag lands or whatever you don't want from your hand because you know that you have more looters in your deck. You can just like cash them in. Yeah. You can also draw this up Niv Mizzet, I guess, if you really want to. I don't know how many red green cards Niv Mizzet decks typically play. <laughs> no, I, I think not very many, which kind of recommends this to the deck, right? Like, yes. Now you have one you can get. But it's also my number one card, which I'm going to segue into right now because that's also mm-hmm. a red green card. It's Kogla and Yadaro. Uh huh. Uh, one of my favorite cards in the set, weirdly enough, just because it it's cool. <laughs> uh, so Kogla Nidara is a six mana seven seven two red red GG legendary ape dinosaur turtle. Perfect creature type. Perfect mana cost. Perfect creature type. <laughs> when they enter the battlefield, you choose one. It gains it. We're doing wow. Referring to legend two legendary creatures as it is so weird. But I guess they just mm-hmm. don't have space. See, it, I feel like this is a place where the templating could stand to just like it's everybody would understand if you said they there. They gain trample right. and haste until end of turn. Right. Like, why is why are we referring to these two titans as it? But whatever. It gains trample and haste until end of turn and it fights target creature you don't control. So ETB, it either just comes in and hits them for seven or fights something. Yeah, it either fights them or fights one of their creatures. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. or sometimes both, you know, if you you attack and they block. Or it kills any battle, like as long as it gets through. Uh, And it has another ability after that. So if it's in your hand, you can pay two red and a green and discard it. 
to dis- discard them to destroy <laughs> up to one target artifact or enchantment and then shuffle it back into your great shuffle it from your graveyard into your library then draw a card so it has the neat thing with uh yadara where you're putting it into your graveyard then you're shuffling it into your library then yeah. you can draw it again <laughs> yeah at super generous card six mana for a seven seven that either has haste or murders a creature haste and, and trample also yeah and trample and the buyout of like this is just like an uncounterable disenchant that draws you a card if you want to spend four mana to kill an artifact or enchantment that's bothering you. That's a lot. I, I think the buyout really makes this card. I would be not very interested in this card if it's just like yeah. six mana, seven, seven with like three abilities that are just mm-hmm. like battlefield focused. But the fact that you can put this in the more mid range year decks or like Bring to Light or whatever mm-hmm. uh, and it just be a disenchant that is part of your mid range game plan where you're just like killing them. <laughs> it's nice yeah it is nice and it's just a like there's a lot of tap out plays that get intensely punished by this card right any planeswalker that you tap out for if you you can't you're really hoping your opponent doesn't have kogla and yadaro anytime you just like play a i mean i guess shieldred has death touch so shieldred is good against this card even if you come down and fight it then you lose your kogla and yadaro so you know score another one for shieldred four uh but most times that you tap all of your mana to do a thing kogla and yadaro has a way of punishing that yeah it also works well if you're playing kogla and yadaro with invasion of Rokomon because mm-hmm. that, that is a five defense battle but kogla and yadaro can come in kill it make a three four and then you can tutor for another battle or or land i guess right and now you have a three four and a seven seven to challenge whatever to battle be on you the just battlefield got. yeah exactly also invasion of ergamon allowing you to cast kogla and yadaro on turn five means that you get to start punishing whatever they tap out for that much faster which is really good i think mm-hmm. and anytime you draw a Kog- or not kogla and yadaro, anytime you draw an invasion of ergamon like a treasure token and a fable mm-hmm. you can cast it tur- you know turn four yeah you're at least threatening to they have to like do stuff to stop you from that and then you just are getting value yeah the whole time and then they have to deal with the fable like fable is not a card you can just like ignore right right i think kogla and yadaro is great i i love this card it's good a good glow up for my my akoria boys yes and it is cool that they got godzilla and king kong onto the same card because Godzilla and King Kong have had some famous team-ups, and so it's it's nice that they got the band back together. Ooh, Yudara was a Godzilla in this set. There, there were, like, three Godzillas. One okay. of them was Zolartha. Godzilla Doom Inevitable is the Oh, Yudara. right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just so funny because he's a turtle in the... But yeah, he's... he's a... I mean, Sprite Dragon and whatever its face do look nothing alike, so... That's fair. Um, yeah, so Godzilla, King Kong, friends forever. Yeah, perfect. Until they have to fight each other, which is, you know, everyone, every other. Uh, they're busy so. fighting Frexians right now. Yeah. Also, Yadaro wins that fight. <laughs> Yadaro's huge. <laughs> <laughs> Yadaro, like, scaled back to fit on this card because that, that card was massive. <laughs> yes. Scale birds are real small on Yadaro. Yeah. Uh, so I had some of the same ones. I had some. There's just a lot of cool multicolor cards in this set, honestly. My number five is Invasion of Alara, which is just a wildly speculative one. I I, I really like this card. It's Wooberg for a seven defense. 
battle um when it etbs basically you you cascade twice and you get to cast one of the spells and put the other one in your hand i think that's easier to understand than reading the text of the card and then on the back side i just need to make sure that i'm saying all of the things that it does it's a sorcery called awaken the maelstrom Target player draws two cards. You may put an artifact card from your hand onto the battlefield. Create a token that's a copy of a permanent you control. Distribute three plus one plus one counters among one, two, or three creatures you control. And destroy target permanent and opponent controls. So the payoff for flipping this thing is there. Do this and you win the game. Uh, Flipping it, difficult. Casting it, difficult. So I don't know. Building a deck that is both capable of casting it and killing it is like a... It's quite a quest, and I don't really know how to do it. Kogla and Yodaro does hit for seven, and this has seven defense, so that's probably part of the equation in standard. Invasion of Ergamon, also probably part of the equation. Uh, You know, I'm into trying to figure this out, and I'm sure that it will be the focus of some Ali and Trazi streams at the very least. So, you know, that's, that's, it's cool. Yeah, I have one thing to call out about this card. I guess two things. One is like, <laughs> you may put an artifact card from your hand. I know it's, it's just so like goofy. such but, a weird one. But so it, it's because it's not five colors of effects, right? It's five shards of an of of effects, and so you need okay. an Esper effect. And Esper was the artifact shard. So if so, the Grixis effect is destroy permanent, right? Or is that the Jund effect? I think that's the Jund effect. So which shard is draw two? Cards? No, no, no. Three plus one plus one counters is. It's Naya. I guess it's Naya. Yeah, you can't be banned because Bant's about exalted. Yes. So, so if that's Naya, and Jund is destroyed permanent, then Grixis uh-huh. is a draw two cards, and then make a copy of a permanent is Bant? It's not the most clear to me, I guess. <laughs> we can agree that putting an artifact from Putting an artifact is, is definitely Esper. <laughs> <laughs> one of the weird things about this card to me is that it literally says it's all colors in the text box mm-hmm. even though they have the color indicator thing for all the other flip cards it pains me that they didn't make a five color a five color color indicator i'm sure yeah. that it pains uh like a bunch of proxy artists and like custom card <clears throat> content people because that they'd love to see that five color color indicator but we don't get one they probably made it and they're like oh this is just Way this is small. hideous yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean that was one of the problems of the color indicators when they they came out originally right is that if mm-hmm. there was a uh like a red or a green card with a color indicator you like had to write it what the color was in the reminder text because red green color one people just couldn't tell yeah i i mean i think that is an active problem i don't think that that reminder text is on all of the cards that yeah have it, that, it's not. So. but mostly mostly they are the same colors as the card they flip into now yeah it's not perfect. No, but uh, anyways, th- this card likely not good, but the the goal is there. The the quest is there, and I, I will probably give it a shot at some point. My number four is Zergo and Ojitai. Two blue, red, white for a 4-4 flying haste orc dragon. Has hexproof as long as it enters the battlefield this turn. Whenever one or more dragons you control deal combat damage to a player or battle, look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. You may return one of those dragons to its owner's hand. I mean, a lot of text for basically a five mana haste dragon that draws you a card and can't be interacted on the turn that you cast it, which 
you know, awkward colors for this. It is a little five mana is a lot to pay for a creature that is drawing you cards and not really doing anything to keep you from dying. But it's good at flipping battles if that's relevant. It's also just really good at getting you cards in a grindy game. And I think that that could be pretty strong. I I like this card at least. It is absolutely criminal that this card does not have five power. It's <laughs> so that it can kill the invasion of Tarkir. Uh, I think that's like very intentional, but also I, very disappointing. I understand it's intentional, but like, would having a Jeskai dragon attacking mm-hmm. a, a a conditional removal spell battle to flip it into a good card, like, is all of that together too strong? And I, I'm sure they tested it and they're like, yeah, maybe it's too strong. But I, mm-hmm. I have a hard time believing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do think giving this an extra point of power is a meaningful it's huge. Like, change to the power level of this card, even without the the Tarkir the in, yeah. invasion of Tarkir like, being relevant. But I think like, that just makes it more interesting as a standalone card because I'm not really interested in this card ever right now. Hmm. Okay. I think that it is closer. I think it's pretty close, especially... It, it is kind of obnoxious that it doesn't trigger when it hits a planeswalker. It would be nice if it like added that text onto there because there's a decent number of planeswalkers that will die to this and it's a really nice punish to them, but then you don't get your card. But you have killed a planeswalker, so that's pretty good still. It's worth a card most of the time. Usually. So I don't know. I like this. I like how it pun- you can use it to punish certain play patterns really well, uh, especially out of like the, the mono white deck. And I, I think that... It could be relevant. The biggest thing holding it back is the mana cost. Just costing Jeskai means that you're very limited in the decks that you can put this into. Yeah. Yep. That's my reservations with it. It just feels a little too weak or too, mm-hmm. and a little too prohibitive in cost. That's like where yeah. my hangups are. Yep. I think that's probably true. My number three is Kroxa and Kunaros. Three red, white, black, 6-6 six, six, Vigilance, Menace, Lifelink, Elder Giant Dog. Whenever it ETBs or attacks, you may exile five cards from your graveyard. When you do, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Infinite combo with Altar of Dementia. Don't know if that's going to show up, but there's certainly some Goryeo's Vengeance brew that can make this work. It is also just a gigantic value proposition for any mid-range deck that's going long that is, you know, self-milling or churning through its deck in any way there's like a lot you get a lot for six mana when this works and then the question is just like is there a deck that it works in secondary question is there a deck i can play mardu in i mean fable of the mirror breaker is like getting you close right Uh, it's solid treasure tokens generally yeah the the triomes that we have access to right now are not wedge triomes so that does make it a little more challenging and the ally triumphs do not have very long left in standard at this point mm-hmm. I'm, i i like crooks and kunaris don't get me wrong like it is a titan in all of the senses yeah it's just casting it i think is the main problem yes but but, but once you've once you've done the work in deck building to be able to cast it consistently it is so strong yes it's pretty unreal and you know if you're following up like I don't know, like you've got Atsushi in your deck and your Atsushi dies and now you can cast this and bring off of the treasures and bring back your Atsushi. Like that's the kind of thing that I'm aiming for with this this card. You, It, it is more of a late game trigger because you just have five cards in your graveyard mm-hmm. and a creature. 
So if you're doing like that sushi and the Kunros thing, like I have a hard time imagining you have five other non sushi oh, cards. Yeah. In your I'm not I'm not talking about this like on exactly on turn curve, five yeah. or anything like that, but just in general, it lets you later towards the end of the game let you cast your your crooks and kunros regardless of what lands you've drawn yeah i mean your first at sushi like gets you cards to cast and then those cards go in your graveyard and then your second at sushi gives you treasures to make it easier to cast your crooks and kunros i guess uh, i do like the casting multiple at sushis our opponent has dealt with and like yeah he, this is the croaksa this is the finisher and then yeah. you get a sushi back and then they're probably dead yeah that's that's tough to deal with i do think one of the things like non-trivially holding this back is is the amount of exile removal like the white deck just only exiles yeah, your creatures only has wandering emperor ossification blah 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 yeah. lay down arms yeah. now sunfall yeah now sunfall yeah farewell like they don't go to the graveyard doesn't farewell exile the graveyard too is that the card of thinking of? yeah farewell really messes up the crooks <laughs> of kunaro's game plan my last two were on your list. My so very I didn't notice this before, but Croxa and Kunaros right next to Kogla and Yadaro have like very similar art. Similar color palettes. And like color palettes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the art's a lot I mean they're not that different. I mean, it's just like two team up you yeah. know, portraits or whatever. But yes, the palettes are so similar. Once you've covered the whole like landscape in red. You don't have that much room to put two figures and make the art look that much dissimilar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when they're literally two monsters. Like, both of these cards are just two monsters. Yes. A fair number of the cards in this set are just two monsters. I mean, you got, you know, Fibblethip and Borborygmos. Are you saying Fibblethip is best. not a monster? No, he's, he's a sweet little up. homunculus. He's been doing his bicep curls. <laughs> oh, I, I can't see them from the back of Borborygmos's back. Yeah, I mean, it's all relative. It's hard to tell when Borborygmos... Although is he involved. is flexing in the art, though, if you notice that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you have to zoom in on it, like pull out your magnifying glass, but he's, he's definitely doing a little flex there on the back. Nice. Good for him. I like the confidance. Anyway, Kogla and Yudara. Do you want to talk yeah, about Yeah, that's my number two. The card's, card's really good. And my number one is Invasion of Ergamon. I'm just excited to build decks around casting this on turn two and then using that little mini fable bump to keep my game going be consistent get an extra mana i think that's pretty strong yeah it's 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 funny how often the cards that end up being the, the better ones in the set are just like the tiny little enablers for the rest mm -hmm. of the cards <laughs> like and then it doesn't have... matter what five mana spell you cast they're all crazy powerful so yeah like we could debate you know whether five mana shieldred versus invoke despair versus cruelty of gex or whatever but like you cast one of your opponents behind you know <laughs> like it doesn't matter which one yeah i mean so many games in standard are not decided by like what five mana spell you cast they're decided by whether or not you got to attack with your fable goblin like that's the most important part of a which huge enables your percentage mana. of games yeah yeah man when fable rotates it'll be huge for the consistency yeah. of every deck with red mana <laughs> yep yep we will need to find new solutions and that innovation rig one's a good step in that direction specifically for red green uh, granted mm -hmm. but it does do a good little tiny fable impression I, I do think it's a legitimate push towards putting green mana in your deck and especially once we don't have fable i i mm -hmm. think that we will see a lot more green decks yeah i think there are a lot of good green cards in this set where green was pretty medium before but th there's some good green cards in this set that even though you didn't talk about like kind of orinclex it has a, is a role player that has good text on it yeah 
just got to find spots for him. Yeah, and we will see. I don't know. I'm hyped to play some standard. I will be mostly focusing on Pioneer for the immediate future, but then there'll be some cool stuff to mess around with. Yeah, I I don't currently have a reason to touch standard, which is a little disappointing. Kind of. Not disappointing for my wallet, but disappointing for my play experience, I guess. (laughs) But I am playing Pioneer because I've been enjoying that format recently. Yeah, yeah, me too. And and we're turning into a pioneer podcast soon, so you know I've got to be ready. We are transitioning to a full on pioneer podcast for the next several weeks. That's true. I mean, we will. Yeah. So next week, we are definitely going to talk about standard and maybe even limited. We're going to have Will Kruger join us and talk about the pro tour since that's you know the next weekend. But then after that, we'll be lasered in. The Fermit King, Will Kruger. <laughs> qualify for this pro tour a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> cool well thank you so much for joining us we really really appreciate your time that's it for us have a great week bye <laughs>